deep in football yesterday? Will you be stuffing your face with football today? Are you a fan of bold opinions that may or may not be stupid? If so, you've come to the right place. Indulge in some pigskin. It's time for the football brunch. Football brunch right here on the fans. Sundays 11 to 2. Unless the Browns play at 1 o'clock, then you might hear us. What is it? 6 o'clock to 7.30-ish. But here we are, football brunch today. But Reister's out. Chops and Tyvis Powell on the show. Tyvis, we I think I talked to you once on a Buckeye show as a guest, but I've never hosted a show with you. How you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I appreciate you for allowing me to come on the show and be a co-host with you today so we could talk some ball. Yeah, and it's two weeks in a row. I, uh, we uh, will be together for the pregame show next week because Matty Ice is off that day so uh we'll get a little test run here on the football brunch no buckeye game yesterday which is usually where we start last week uh, was such a crazy college football day that we we started there yesterday still an entertaining day not as crazy one major upset that we'll get to that i'm not very happy about but we'll we'll get to it we'll start with uh some of the other (laughs) games that that stood out from from yesterday georgia they uh I mean, they look the part. They keep doing it the same way that that defense, you know, no pun intended. It's just a bunch of dogs out there. They do not let teams breathe. Kentucky looked like they had some offense going every once in a while, but then it would just completely shut down basically at the whims of Georgia. When they want to shut it down, they will. Kentucky did find a way to get a second touchdown in there. They lose 30 to 13, but either way, it looks the same for Georgia. And I don't know if there's an offense in the country right now that they can't at least slow down. I agree with you. You know, that they, they always said that defense win championship. You know, me being a, a defensive guy, I like to watch George because they definitely get after, you know. And watching that game, you know, I had a lot of – I had faith in Kentucky a little bit. I'm not going to lie because, you know, they play uh, Florida well. And I, I had a lot of respect for the Florida team. But, yeah, you said it. This Georgia defense just shut them down. And you know what? The offense – Georgia offense don't get no credit. You know, all year we talked about how good – how great Georgia defense is. But their offense did really well with Stetson Bennett. Coming, I think he went four, 14 for 20, had like three touchdowns, I want to say. Yeah, he did He did really well. So the offense is finally clicking. You know, Georgia is definitely a team that I expect to see in the national championship. Yeah, 253 touchdowns, 14 of 20 for Stetson Bennett. Out of all the talent Georgia has on their team, and JT Daniels is a, a former five-star transfer from USC. I believe they have a five-star freshman on their, on their team, but it's the Stetson Bennett guy who had – he had transferred out of Georgia. He was originally there. He transferred to a junior college. He came back, and now he's played most of the last two seasons for them, and they've been pretty good ones this year, obviously, getting all the way up to number one, a 7-0 and record. So, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a shrug for me on, like, man, you know, Georgia, and it's everywhere else. Like the, It's not that, like, Georgia's not, like, developing the talent that they recruit, but for some reason at quarterback, it just seems to work better with the Stetson Bennett guy in. Yeah, he for some odd reason they offense definitely are is clicking better. Um I don't know. It seems like the, his guys are getting open more for him and he just makes the right throws and he got this swagger about himself. I seen after he threw a touchdown, he was doing like the shooting the guns thing. He just got he got a lot of energy to it. That's the guy that people like to play for. We're going to talk about the Iowa loss uh, to Purdue in the next segment a little bit, and we're also going to hit some Buckeye stuff in the second hour, a little uh, pre- or mid-season awards for Ohio State. But that number two spot with Iowa losing, it's it's up for grabs. And Cincinnati, they look the part. They beat UCF 
56 to 21. But what is going to happen when that AP poll comes out today? Oklahoma is still undefeated, and they look like they've kind of turned the tide with Caleb Williams, and they win 52 to 31 over TCU, and Alabama 49 to 9 over Mississippi State. With OSU having the day off, it seems unlikely that they're going to be able to jump anybody, especially after those results. Do you think it just moves forward and all three of those teams just move up one spot? Do you think one of those guys could pass Cincinnati for the number two spot? Or do you think the Bearcats land there today in the AP poll? I, you know what? I think it's time for Cincinnati to get the respect that they deserve. You know, after after last season, you know, they played Georgia in the uh, bowl game, and they could have won that game. So I think they proved that they are able to play on the big stage with the bright teams. I think, you know, today they get their respect and they move up to two. I think everybody just moves up a spot. I think that's the right move. I don't I don't know what more you want from, from UC. They won the tough games, or at least at the beginning of the year, we thought they would be tough. Notre Dame's still a pretty quality win. Indiana, that one keeps losing luster for both Iowa and Cincinnati as the season goes on, although they did look pretty good against Michigan State yesterday, better than they had looked in recent weeks. But either way, you see they're just playing the schedule in front of them, and now that they're in the meat of this AAC schedule, I feel like you have to respect it because this is what we asked them to do. We said, hey, you win those you win those games uh, at Indiana and at Notre Dame, we'll respect you, and then if you look the part for the rest of the year, then you should be there. If if this UC team runs the table and keeps winning like this, you know, 20, 30-point victories, and they don't make the college football playoff, then it's really just you got to throw your hands up in the air and say, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, it would be really up for it. It would be a huge uproar if they, they run the table for the rest of the season and they don't make it. It would be a huge uproar. Because like I say, I think last year the, they could have been in it. But the reason they didn't is because, you know, they, the CFP probably was like, you know, we don't trust them. You know, they might not fit well against these these top schools with the SECs, the ACCs and stuff like that. So I think what they did last year was they gave them Georgia in their bowl game just for a test run. You know, let's let's see if, if y'all can hang with Georgia then next year and move them forward. We'll we'll consider putting y'all in the top four. And like I said, they actually had a chance to win that game. Mm-hmm. So it shows that they do deserve to be in those top four spots if that team has the record and shows the the ability to be able to handle it. Now, obviously, a team improves between winter workouts, spring, and then fall camp. But even Georgia, like trying to make, you know, I, I don't know if they were doing this as much. It was more Dan Mullen from Florida. But, like, I, I think I've seen some other, you know, random people on, like, Twitter point out that, like, well, Georgia, like, players were sitting out and they don't care about the bowl game. And it's like, well, yeah, but, I mean, even if players were sitting out, that means it was essentially the roster they have now. That is number one in the country, and UC was hanging with them. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that point. As I mentioned, those next two teams, I think the undefeated record probably keeps Oklahoma safe from being jumped by Bama. So Oklahoma moves up to three, Bama up to number four, most likely. Oklahoma, Bama, whatever, they beat Mississippi State. They're back on track. That was the one that was like, ooh, can the transitive property get them? Because Mississippi State beat Texas A&M, then Texas A&M beat Bama. Can Mississippi State beat Alabama? No. 49-9. No, no questions there. I'm sure uh, Saban had a nice week of practice with those guys. But Oklahoma, I think, <laughs> I think Oklahoma is the more interesting one. Caleb Williams comes in, and he has he has uh, almost 350 yards. I think just over 350 yards of total offense, four passing TDs, one rushing TD. So this is a guy who can get it done on the ground a little bit as well, but he looks good in the pocket. I think we might be seeing the end of the Spencer Rattler era, and the Caleb Williams era seems to be bringing back that explosive offense that we've seen under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and that 
that whole story is really mind blowing to me because you have a guy in Spencer Rattler who comes in as, you know, unanimous Heisman winner, mm-hmm. first pick of the draft, and all of a sudden, you know, one week he gets benched in the second quarter and his backup comes in and, and outperforms him. And it's it's kinda like the Wally Pip story, except he didn't get hurt, he just got benched. So it is it's mind blowing to see what will happen there. I don't I, I he probably will transfer because you know Caleb Williams is looking really good. He's got his team looking really good. I mean, you got to stay with the hot hand. I don't know if it is any injuries or if, or if he's just that much better than him. But yeah, it's it's very unfortunate for Spencer Rattler with all the hype that he had coming into the season. Yeah, and I know from a gambling perspective, they have to put out the odds for the Heisman because they want people to bet on it and they want to basically they want to take your money. So Spencer Rattler, I guess, was the pick. <laughs> but I feel like for the draft stuff, this is a good sign of like when people write mock drafts the day after the NFL draft for the next year probably don't worry about it too much because Spencer Rattler I think was just there because he was like the like one returning starter in college football that everybody like knew was there they had a good year last year he was pretty good so I guess he'll be the number one pick but no I don't think that's going to be going to be true for them now elsewhere between uh it was between him and uh Sam Howell who also isn't <laughs> yes. doing hot this year so <laughs> yeah and Howell had didn't even I feel like he got a little bit more unfair of a shake there because I mean he hasn't looked good and neither has UNC but they lost so much talent around yes, him they did. like Oklahoma they did. we've seen Caleb Williams comes in and look at how good they look so what's up Spencer why why couldn't you do it yeah you got but the thing is you know with the with Sam Howell you know you got to be the guy, you know. If you're 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 this guy, you're the reason. You're the quarterback. You know, this is what uh, professional teams want to see. Can you still get it done? You know, we didn't we didn't criticize Tom Brady when we couldn't even name his receivers. He still found a way to get it done. <laughs> so you got to find a way. Elsewhere, some other games that uh, caught my interest here: Oklahoma State. Now I saw this. They've technically beaten beaten three ranked teams in a row. And I think it was number 25, number 21, and number 25. But they are, I think, are they 7-0 and now? Or I, I wrote down here 6-0, and but now that I think about it, I think it's I think it's 7-0. and No, they're 6-0. and Okay, so they just had their bye. So they're 6-0 and in the Big 12. I guess it's, a, you know, a, a crash course for, for them in Oklahoma in Bedlam to decide it. I think Oklahoma's better. I haven't... I mean, it's not like I've sat down and really watched Oklahoma State. I watched this game a little bit. Another one, Texas, had a lead that they gave up. Texas, I don't know what's going on with Texas under Steve Sarkisian. Well, maybe I do. It's just the way Texas has been for the last decade <laughs> or so. But under yeah. under Sarkisian, they keep giving up these leads that they have in games that they could win that would be very important for them. Instead, Oklahoma State advances. If, Oklahoma, if the other Oklahoma, the OU, keeps playing the way they're playing with Caleb Williams, I think that they're the class of the Big 12 now. But Oklahoma State is still lurking there. Probably going to get into the top ten this week if they're six and zero and they were sitting at number twelve last week. Yeah, I mean they, I mean with a impressive win over Texas. I mean, like you said, they were Texas was up and they came back. So I mean, you got to show them their, you got to give them their credit. You know, with with uh, Kentucky also losing, they're probably going to fall out. With Iowa losing to Purdue, I mean, I, you would think that they might take a a, a pretty dramatic fall. So yeah. that might push Oklahoma State into this top ten, which ultimately would make it a, a really good game against OU Oklahoma. And then essentially, I, I mean, I without the Big 12 standings right in front of me, it probably would just be like back-to-back games for them or whenever they play because the Big 12 title is always just the two 
the two uh, best records in the Big 12. So you might see a double dose of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State here at the end of the season. One other one I wanted to talk about. This game doesn't really have too many implications, but number 13 Ole Miss beats Tennessee 31 to 26. And it was the commotion off the field that turned into stuff on the field. That was kind of the headline from this one. The cap, the crowd was just throwing stuff onto the field because they were upset. And the, the biggest one was somebody threw a golf ball and it hit Lane Kiffin in the elbow. <laughs> who, who brought it? Who brings a golf ball to a football game and then decides to throw it? There's, there shouldn't be much room in, in, in football spectator sports for throwing stuff on the field. So do better Tennessee, but still just kind of a wild thing going on there. Yeah, you know, they, <laughs> that's the thing. You know, people, the fans get caught up in emotions and, you know, they, they be forgetting that, like, these are human beings too. Like, you, you don't, ex- people don't come to your job and if you do a bad job and <laughs> throw things at you, so there's poor, you shouldn't be able to do that to, to these people as well. So that, and the golf ball, that's such a, it's such a wild thing. I don't, who carry, let's, I'm, you know what? I'm going to carry this golf ball for good luck today. <laughs> like, yeah, like, who does that? That's kind of weird. You just have it in his pocket <laughs> and he goes, oh yeah, maybe, maybe at a Around that morning, came straight to the tailgate, remembered he had the <laughs> golf ball in his pocket. That would be my only guess. Otherwise, you're just a weird guy who's who's always carrying around a golf ball. That Your comment there uh, makes me think, uh, that would be odd if I was just sitting at my desk and somebody didn't like an opinion I had that day, and they just came in and started throwing trash at me. No, I don't think that would fly. So, yeah, don't do it at, at football games either. It, it goes back to, I, I was talking about this last week after uh, the Iowa fans stormed the field uh, for the Penn State game, and people always have opinions on, like, storming the field, and oh, this team, and it's like, it's not the team. Like, I mean, the, the, the university and the coaches and stuff and, like, press conferences can do their best to, like, call out people or tell them, eh, probably, probably don't do that. But at the end of the day, it's still just, like, the fans doing things, and there's not really much. It doesn't say anything actually about the team. So, yes, maybe condemn some of the uh, Tennessee fans. Maybe hate uh, storming the field if you if you don't like it or if you do like it, whatever. But it really, to me, doesn't say much about the team. It's more about the fan base. Absolutely. I mean, you, after you pull off a win, like a, a, a crowd, a game winning thing like that, of course the fans want to get involved. I mean, they've been, they came there, they're, they're rushed with emotions and they just want to celebrate with their team. So of course they're going to storm the field. But as long as they're not doing anything to the opposing teams, like getting in their faces mm-hmm. or saying anything disrespectful, there's really nothing. I don't see any problem with it. Keep in mind, thousands of the fans at these games are college students, and most of them have had a uh, a few adult pops before the game. We'll, we'll say that. So you can't always <laughs> you can't always trust their decision making by the end of the game. <laughs> Up next, I was not a happy camper yesterday, and the Big Ten West isn't as done as we may have thought. Football brunch on the fan. If you miss a Buckeye game, it's because your radio is in tune to the right place. Always and forever, your home for the Buckeyes, the fan, Ohio's sports destination. Get back. Chops and Tyvis Powell, football brunch right here on the fan. We'll be with you until 2 o'clock today. Man, Tyvis, if you don't know much about me, uh, while being an Ohio State grad and caring very much about the Buckeyes, I am from Iowa. Both my parents went to the University of Iowa, and so I, I care very, very much about the Iowa football program oh, as well. So, so you upset? Yeah. So this was this was a tough one. I uh, I definitely threw some things. I broke my remote. <laughs> 
I uh, I turned both TVs huh? off at one point and declared we're not watching football for the rest of the weekend. I did turn the game back on eventually, but yeah, it was a it was a very tough day. And Purdue is just kind of one of those teams you keep you kept seeing the stats throughout the game that they've beaten the most one or two ranked teams ever. They've beaten they as an unranked team they've beaten number two more times than anybody else. It's just crazy things from Purdue that they always find themselves in these situations. And this one also stood out to me. And we'll talk about the West here at the end of this segment, too. But this uh, triangle of confusion as uh, Dustin Schutte, who covers the Big Ten for Saturday Tradition, he, that's what he's calling it. Jeff Brom is now 4-1 and one against Kirk Ferentz. Ferentz is 4-0 and oh against P.J. Fleck. And Fleck is 4-1 and one against Brom. I don't know. That's Who knows? How does that happen? The wild, wild west. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, the west is, we all, it seems so locked up. And now it's, you know, three one loss teams. Technically, Minnesota controls their own destiny because they still have to play Iowa and they already beat Purdue. Um, but both of those guys still have some east games left on their schedule that are going to be tough to get around. Um, I know uh, Purdue still plays Ohio State. So, We'll we'll see, and Minnesota still plays Iowa as, as far as a West game. We'll see how that goes, but specifically on this game, it just felt like the script was flipped on Iowa. It was it was almost a mirror image of how Iowa had played all year. You know, Purdue comes up with the interceptions. They 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 stifle the the opposing team's offense. That's Iowa in this case, and because they're trying to come back, they just can't do it against the defense. I knew Purdue's defense was going to be a challenge. They were eighth in the nation in scoring coming into this game, at just uh, just over sixteen points a game. So I knew it was going to be tough for Iowa to score. I didn't think it was going to be this tough. They were just completely stifled. George Karloftis is. Uh, we knew this too, but man, seeing it live, he's a man amongst boys out there. If he wasn't doubled, he was in the backfield hitting Spencer Petras. And that once they're down, Spencer Petras getting pressured and he's not that good of a quarterback to begin with, there's just nothing Iowa could do because they couldn't keep trying to get their run game going because they tried to get downfield faster and then it all just fell apart and Purdue cruises to a 24-7 to win. Yeah, it was just one of those ones where, you know, they, you're right. Purdue is, Purdue is the team that every year they go say, you know what? We go ruin somebody's season. <laughs> you know, everybody's, it's not, you know, people look at Purdue and be like, oh, you know, you pegged that off on the schedule. That's Purdue check. That's a win. <laughs> and they just come out there and they, they're better than you think they are. You know, they, they don't get the top recruits, but they get some hungry recruits. They get those recruits that got the chips on their shoulder with things to prove. And yeah, they went out there and, I mean, David Bell had a, a monster game. I mean, they, I think they even quoted uh, Iowa's coach last year after the game saying that uh, he was a really good receiver and he was a tough cover. Well, I guess he came back with vengeance this year because, I mean, he put up – well, he had 11 catches for 240 yards and the touchdown. It was just kind of like how Rondell Moore did Ohio State a couple of years ago. And he They ruined our season. That's just kind of how he was. And as far as Iowa's offense go, I mean, that's always been the thing that I – was never saw. That's kind of like a Georgia to me. You know, their defense is what was carrying them. We, uh, we, every week we talked about how great Iowa's defense was, but we never really talked about their offense. And I mean, the, the quarterback struggled. He threw four interceptions. I mean, anybody that throws four interceptions, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to try to win mm-hmm. that game. So that's, Purdue just had a great, that defense came to play, like you said, and they, they just, they got up and never looked back. Yeah, and the Iowa defense certainly helped out by uh, what some people call the the worst rule in football, where you fumble out of the end zone and it goes to a touchback to the to the other team. But either way, it, 
okay, maybe you add in that touchdown, but it's also Iowa's defense was on the, the, the field pretty much the entire second half. So I don't know exactly where the score might be if something like that doesn't happen, whatever. Either way, the, the truth is they gave up twenty just 24 points to Purdue, which is a, a little high, but not crazy. Nothing that shouldn't be insurmountable. If Iowa, yeah, if they were the number two team in the country, it would be, I think it's reasonable to assume that they can score four touchdowns against Purdue and get to 28 points and win a game like this. The offense just couldn't do anything. It was really frustrating because they came out, they had a 38-yard play on their first play of the game, and that was pretty much it as far as offensive production. They had a few other... Uh, uh, Goodson had a few good runs in there and as well. But Aiden O'Connell came in, and he was 30 of 40, 375 yards, and two touchdowns. But he also wasn't even the main... I mean, I guess he was the main quarterback by the end. I don't know what they were doing with this musical chairs quarterback thing. I've heard sometimes switching out series with quarterbacks and it's usually two guys and that doesn't really work, but they were, I think it was 1.3 different quarterbacks played in eight plays on one drive. They were just straight up, whatever scenario they wanted, just throwing in a, a different quarterback. And that was sort of to help the run game, which it never really got going. They don't really have a running back situation right now. They kept saying that Purdue only has one scholarship running back. But still, have you ever seen anything like that? A coach actively swapping out three different quarterbacks within the same drive consistently? You know, to be honest with you, the the first time I ever seen that happen was actually in a high school game that I called (laughs) on Friday. It was uh, Dublin Kaufman. They were losing to Upper Arlington, and they – they put the the two backup quarterbacks. They just kept rotating them in because I guess one could run and the other could throw better. That was the first time I ever seen it, but it ended up working and they ended up scoring. But it was a blowout, so it didn't. Now that matter. was that but- was a response <laughs> though to the game not going their way, right? Right. See, yeah. Right. Right. Doing this from jump, it was their plan. It was their game plan, and it worked. <laughs> Hey, listen, they knew something. They understood that they was going to throw a different, a bunch of different looks at this Iowa defense because they, they see one quarterback does something better than the other. So we're going to just keep rotating them and they will never figure out which one is good at what. <laughs> so Iowa has a bye next week and then they've got a, a bunch of the, basically the rest of the, the Big Ten West. Nebraska and Minnesota kind of jump out to me as maybe those ones could give Iowa some trouble, but for the most part, as expected with the Purdue game, so obviously anything can happen. Iowa should be favored, and, and they should probably win those last five. That would be my assumption. But they don't control their own destiny in there anymore because if they beat Minnesota, that means Purdue has to pick up another loss or else their one loss can go. But again, it gets pretty hard for those other two teams. We'll start with Minnesota, who technically controls their own destiny because they get to play Iowa, but if they lose that one, then they they lose that. They've got Maryland, Northwestern, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, and Wisconsin. So they've still got two East games to go back to. But the game against Iowa, I mean, that's pretty much it. That one seems like it'll come down to the winner of that one probably wins the Big Ten West. Because Purdue, while they're in a good spot, it's going to be tough sledding the rest of the year. They've got Wisconsin next week. They've got at Nebraska the night before Halloween. Then they're at home against Minnesota. Then they're at Ohio State. Then they finish up the season with Northwestern and Indiana. Hard for me to think Purdue doesn't pick up at least two more losses in that stretch. Yeah, I, I mean, with the Ohio State, I, they definitely, I mean, I, obviously I'm biased. But, I mean, it is what it is as well. I definitely feel like Ohio State will give them a loss. And then I feel like a, you know, a Northwestern, they're going to play them tough. 
It's one of them games, they definitely going to get tripped up. Yes. If, and if they don't, then then they might be legit. <laughs> but, but, yeah, one of those games, I do see them getting tripped up. So I definitely could see them losing two games at the most. Yeah, and they've got a home one against Michigan State in there as well. So, yeah, I think the Big Ten West... Uh, a little bit more open than we had thought just a week ago after Iowa had to come from behind victory against Penn State. But you've got Minnesota at Iowa on November 13th. That one looks like it's going to be kind of the decider. Coming into the year, I thought it was going to be the winner of the Iowa-Wisconsin game, but Graham Mertz can't throw the ball. So there you have it. We decide which games were the best after they've been played. Post game of the week next, football brunch right here on The Fan. We know everything about you. We know you love the Buckeyes. We know you love the Jackets. We know you're wearing a red shirt. I just freaked the hell out of someone. So bad. Chops and Tyvis Powell, football brunch right here on The Fan. We'll be with you until 2 o'clock when we join pregame coverage of the Browns. They're taking on the Cardinals at home today. And we have an NFL game going on right now. We're going to get to what we thought was the best day uh, game of the college football day yesterday. But right now, uh, Tyvis, your former coach, he's got a lead in London. We looked down and we were talking about all this college football stuff, and they scored two touchdowns in the first like three minutes of the second half here. Jacksonville leads the Dolphins 17-13 to right now. I don't know. Could it be Urban's first win in the NFL? <laughs> I, listen, I'm sitting here looking at it. And they playing well right now. It started off shaky because Miami was they opened the opening drive. They took it right down the field, scored. Then they stopped them. Then they kept getting two field goals. But Urban and the Jaguars have really picked it up. They got Marvin Harrison. I mean Marvin Jones Jr. He just scored, and James Robinson just had a big run and scored. Yeah, they they looking good right now. What was it last week? Was it? The Jets and the Falcons, I believe. I mean, the NFL yes. is just like allergic to putting a good matchup here in London, <laughs> but we might actually get two games two weeks in a row that at least come down to the wire. So there's something, there's something to be said about that, that you're at least getting exciting games in London, although the outcome of this one doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's good to be able to, to wake up and catch a game at 930 in the morning. You got to wait to the regular one o'clock if you're eager to watch some football. So it's always nice to turn on a game. And like you say, it's been it's been interesting. It's been a very interesting game thus far. So we'll keep an eye on that one. We'll let you know what happened. Now we're going to talk about games that have already finished up. Time for post game of the week. The football brunch presents post game of the week. All right, Tyvis. After the Iowa game, I uh, I kept my second TV on, but I turned my first TV to just anything besides football because I I was not really having it after the Iowa game. So uh, I I didn't pay too close attention to the night games. The game coming into the week that we thought would be good and it was okay. The Georgia Kentucky game, but nothing that special. So from the noon slate, I'm gonna that's where I'm gonna go for my post game of the week. And the game that had me intrigued the most was the Michigan State Indiana game because Indiana led for a lot of it. And that was something I didn't see happening. Michigan State needed a defensive score to get to 20 points. That was their only points in the first half. They had a uh, pick six there in the first quarter. But Michigan State does hold on to win 20 to 15. Most interesting part, two parts about this for me. One, Penix is still out for Indiana, and they don't look to be 
recovering from that super well. It's something that I think they're going to struggle with uh, throughout the season if he's ever going to be healthy because they were coming off a bye and it was, oh, can he play, can he not? He doesn't even suit up for this one. So I don't know what Penix is, is going to be for them. And he hasn't been as good as he was last year this season as Indiana is now 2-4, and 0-3 oh in the Big Ten. But the bigger story for me, Kenneth Walker looked human in this one. And the Indiana defense isn't amazing, so the fact that they were able to key on Kenneth Walker and say, all right, uh, Peyton Thorne, beat us, and they did just enough, but it, it seems like if you can slow down Kenneth Walker, this Michigan State team uh, can be beat. And we we knew they weren't uh, the best team, but they have really impressed this year, and they are 7-0, and one of the last two undefeated teams in the Big Ten. But if Kenneth Walker can't get going for them, I'm not sure that their offense can hold up to some of the better competition they're going to play the second half of this year. Well, well, the good news is, you know, they they are beatable. That's that's the good news. the The bad news is that we do have to play them soon. And you know, <laughs> oh, although the defense have been better, you know, the linebackers haven't really been tested against a, a a good running back since probably Minnesota. And you know, he really well. I mean, I mean even though he's good. out for the year now, C.J. Verdell seems like he's still running for Oregon as far as running yeah. against Ohio State. I mean, he just kept yeah, going left, and him. there was nobody over there. <laughs> yeah, so I guess they'll, we'll be tested on the run side when we play them in a few weeks. But, you know, hopefully hopefully we can get that done. Uh, my game that I actually was going to pick was LSU versus Florida. Now, coming into this game, for some odd reason, my, my mind just said that LSU was going to win this game. I don't know why. I just, I just thought that. <laughs> so coming into the game, it starts off with, you know, Florida takes the first, the, the, they score first, but then LSU blocks the punt. I mean, blocks the extra point. So it's like, okay, they got some, they got some energy. And then <laughs> what happened was their running back, Tyrion Davis Price, just had a monster game. I mean, he, I think he had 36 carries, 287 yards, and three touchdowns. I mean, it was, a, don't get me wrong, it was a shootout. Like, it was, it went back and forth, and then LSU took a league, and then, you know, they took like a 14 point league, and, Florida kept scoring, it kept hanging in there, and then it came down to at the end, to at the end of the uh, third quarter, you know, it was a tie game. <laughs> it was a tie game, and then Flo- LSU takes the lead in the fourth. Florida ties it back up in the fourth, so it's like coming really down to the wire, and then LSU just goes ahead and pulls it off in the end. So it actually was a really uh, game. I was on the edge of my seat because it was just going back and forth, and it was just good two offenses just scoring. Like, and it was like, where's the defense? <laughs> and, and this week, that uh, certainly does reach up there to be one of the most exciting games. Last week may have just been a blip on the radar after the way that Texas-Oklahoma game, the Ole Miss-Arkansas game, the Alabama-Texas A&M game, uh, th- these, and three of those now, if you include this LZ-Florida game, three of those examples in the SEC. Times have certainly changed from the days of, what, like 13 to 10 finals in the SEC. The offense has definitely caught up, and I don't know what that is. Are, are more kids down south starting to play offense, and some of that talent is not being concentrated on the defensive side of the ball? Whatever it is, the SEC is not the same defensive beast it used to be, but Sometimes still just as bad. They've got all that offense, and then their best team is still that defensive juggernaut that we've seen before in the SEC. You know, Chop, I blame the referees. I think 
the 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 way the game is played now. They don't allow yeah. they don't allow the defense to do anything. We can't we can't do anything without being penalized for. It. They just they want to see these high scoring games, so they they bent the rules in favor of the offense. When they need to show me, I know I'm being biased because I'm a defensive guy. They need to show us some love. Like the offense cheats, they do some things too, and they let, they just allow them to get away with it. But let us do one little thing. Oh, they catch it every time, job. It's, it's really the darnest thing. One of the things that I don't understand about the the rule changes and everything, I, I like that they're trying to make football a safer game and, and everything, but the, you'll never see targeting called on an offensive player. I remember this was in an NFL game, but I, I don't even remember who the player was, but I believe it was a tight end. He catches the ball and he go, he's running and a DB comes up to tackle him. And instead of just, it wasn't just a normal stiff arm. He literally pulled his hand back and slapped the helmet of the defensive back twice. And I'm like, if you came up and did that as a defensive player, you'd probably get kicked out of the game. And instead it was just a routine offensive play. So yeah, maybe that, maybe that would bring things back if they, they started holding offensive players to the same. Cause the other big one is running backs just lower their helmet and just, you know, lead with the crown of their helmet all the time when they're running the ball. And I've pretty much never seen that called. Yeah, and then and then you can't tackle the quarterback. You can't sack the quarterback a certain way. The it's one like, where you drive him into the ground and you land with your body weight yeah, on him. It's like, like come on. Like, what am, <laughs> like he played the game. He knew what was going to happen. Like he he chose this life. Like you can't penalize me for him choosing this. Like it's part of the game. I, I'm all for making it safer and trying to get the right plays to happen. But at a certain point, like it's still football. Like it, it still has to be football. There's going to be some hard hits. That is another thing too. Whenever a, a defender makes a hard hit, if it's not, you know, real low like down below the numbers maybe it like almost always gets called for targeting and they have to look at it because helmets exist the guy's heads are going to exist so every once in a while they're just going to incidentally touch on a tough football play it doesn't always have to be helmet helmet contact and a flag thrown yeah, you know, it, what it does is what these rules have done is it slows defenders down. Like, now you go in there, now you got to think about it. Like, okay, let me make sure that I'm in the strike zone so I don't get flagged. Or if I go to get this quarterback, let me make sure that I can get him down without, you know, because I don't want to get this sack and then get a 15-yard penalty. It's like, it's, it's too much thinking. Like, it's not reactive no more. Like, we, you can't do, you can't play the game how you grew up playing. It's, it's a lot of thinking that's involved, which slows you down imagine some old school wide receivers just watching how receivers just cut across the middle not a care in the world nowadays (laughs) coming up who had the biggest days we'll tell you who in the heisman pose football brunch on the fan head to 971thefan.com to listen on demand and subscribe to all our podcasts wasting time has never been easier the fan ohio sports destination Let's take a look at the best of the best. It's time for the Heisman Pose. All right, we're going to get to the Heisman odds in just a few minutes. But first up, we're going to start with our Heisman Pose. Tyvis, I'll let you go first with this one. Who do you got? Who was the top performer yesterday in college football for you? It had to be Tyree and Davis Price. I mean, the man had... 36 carries for 287 yards and three touchdowns and led his team to victory. I mean, with that, he has, I mean, he literally put the team on his back. I mean, although his, I mean, his quarterback had a good game too, but he was the X factor in that game. He could not be stopped. And anytime you can run the ball successfully, you will win that game 98% of the time. 
When you can carry the ball 36 times and still be going for eight yards a pop, you've done something right. Yeah, you're right. That is quite the performance in a super high-scoring game. We were talking about it last uh, last segment, 49-42. to 42, The final there is LSU takes down Florida. Florida was number 10 like two weeks ago, basically getting credit for playing a close game that they lost against Alabama. And this is why we can't give credit for losses. We do this sometimes in college football. We can't give credit for losses. I'll get to it in uh, the real Big Ten later of a team that I'm done giving them credit for being (laughs) in games. I'm done with it. You have to win some of them. So Florida goes from number 10. They've got now they've got three losses. So they lost to Bama. They lost to Kentucky. And now they've lost to LSU. So they're probably going to be out of the top 25 as well. LSU, uh, I don't think it's going to be enough to bounce back. Ed Orgeron into the good graces of the people at Louisiana State University, but he probably stays alive for another week after a win like that, at least. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was huge. I I don't expect them to make no type of splash back to being what they used to be. I mean, they they got a long way to go, but they definitely, you know, at least it shows that they still have some fight in the program, and they still, you know, are looking to try to do something. I guess they're in a mode of ruining people's seasons. Ed Orgeron sitting there. Is there a way that Joe Burrow can retire and come back to college <laughs> for another year? My, uh, you mentioned him in the previous segment. My uh, Heisman pose this week, David Bell, 11 catches, 240 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Riley Moss was out for Iowa, so that takes down one of their top corners. But the other one, Matt Hankins, a really good corner as well. He's going to be playing on Sundays. Did not look like that with David Bell out there. Another guy who's going to be playing on Sundays right now. This is the Rondell Moore effect for Purdue. The Rondell Moore does what he did as a freshman against Ohio State, and guys go, huh, maybe I could do that at Purdue. And they go, and it looks like they can. So David Bell, a, a crazy game against Iowa, and he has the Hawkeyes' number. Uh, he's played three games in his career against Iowa with Purdue. 37 catches, 558 yards. That's 15.1 yards per catch. And five touchdowns in three games against Iowa. Well, I, I, I mean, obviously the Hawkeyes are supposed to key on him more, but I don't know what they're what they're supposed to do. David Bell just cannot be stopped when he plays against Iowa, and that uh, triangle of confusion continues in the Big Ten West. Yeah, I mean, like I say, that they, they knew coming into the game who, how good David Bell was. I mean, like I say, the coach gave him his props last year after the game. I, it's just sometimes he just he was just better than them that day. It was the, it was the day that he was he said, you know what? This is my chance to really up my NFL stock with this with this Iowa defense being talked about as much as they are. They're the number two team. I can go out there and I could really do something special. And he had his mind made up that he could not be stopped, and that's exactly what happened. He was unbelievable yesterday. And it was surprising to me because obviously Sean Clifford went out and. It, midway through the second quarter against Iowa last week, and that completely changed the look of that Iowa-Penn State game. But even when Clifford was in, Jahan Dotson wasn't killing them, and that's another you know NFL Sunday caliber type receiver across from them, and they were doing an okay job of making sure Dotson didn't beat them. No such case with David Bell, as I said, in that game, 11 catches, 240, a touchdown against Iowa as the Purdue Boilermakers continue to upset top-ranked teams they beat Number two, Iowa, 24 to 7. All right, Bodie, we're going to send it over to you. Let's take a, a check in on the Heisman odds. I guess Matt Corral got another victory, but uh, 
I guess Bryce Young is still up there, too. He, he got another win. It, it was a weird week. The, the buys are starting, so there's guys kind of off every week. But let's see where the odds fall here on this Sunday morning. Yeah, you nailed the top two there. I'll give you the top six here because after that, there's kind of a drop off. And I don't think maybe one guy could potentially sneak his way up there. But nonetheless, the top two, Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, and Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback, both at plus 200, so the uh, two odds-on favorites there right now. Number three, I think most people are familiar with this guy, C.J. Stroud. He came in at a plus 800, so a little bit of a drop-off behind those top two, but nonetheless, number three. Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back, is fourth at plus 1,400. Then we got two guys at plus 2,000. Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback, who's having a nice season for the probably now number two ranked Bearcats. And then this guy has come out of nowhere, basically, sort of. He's uh, the true freshman. Just started his first game last night, but he's already sixth in the odds. At also plus 2,000, uh, tied with Desmond Ritter there. Caleb Williams, the Oklahoma quarterback, made his first start last night. He, of course, saved the game last week against Texas, and he had a nice night last night against uh, TCU. The Caleb Williams won in true interests me because I feel like it's just Vegas trying to steal money from people because he certainly, if he keeps playing like that, that is Heisman caliber but he's not going to get the stats high enough I don't know very many people who win the Heisman after only playing in six or seven of their team's games and only starting six of them or so, so that one doesn't seem very likely but definitely keep, you know, just just like this year, an Oklahoma quarterback will probably be at the top of the Heisman odds coming into next year. C.J. Stroud will be back for the Buckeyes as well, so that'll be interesting to watch next year. Those uh, those top two seem to be where it's at. Uh, I think Ole Miss is going to have to find a way to win another big game. I don't know where that's going to come for them. Uh, I don't know who's exactly left on their schedule, but with the loss to Alabama, I think that's going to give Bryce Young kind of that the little step up he needs, and if they keep winning and he keeps putting up the numbers for Alabama, I... It's hard to say he's not going to be at least in New York. C.J. Stroud's really the only one there that I think is really going to threaten to take it away from from one of those two because he's going to have the stats. His team's going to be good, and he's and if they if they win out, they're going to be in the playoff. So that's the guy I, I think to watch there. Kenneth Walker, as I said earlier, we saw was a little bit more human in that one, and I think as the season goes on, where's Travion on this list? He is number eight at plus four thousand. So Travion probably not going to get all the way to Vegas because there's just you would so, guess there's so many mouths to feed. Exactly, you would guess. I mean, he's the only one. It looks like if I a quick scan through the list that he has another teammate on there. Obviously, C.J. Stroud. Hard to imagine both those guys putting up enough stats like you were saying there. But I, and I think Kenneth Walker and Travion Henderson are they're going to start to butt heads in opinions of people of who's even the best back in the Big 10. There's going to be some people who just because of the yardage are going to think Kenneth Walker. I don't know. What do you think of the odds right now in the Heisman Tyvis? You know, I I agree with them right now. Uh I do believe that CJ is the only one who's can threaten uh, Alabama's quarterback because I mean Alabama I think Alabama is a system and whoever the quarterback just, is, yeah. they just fit in the system. And it, it doesn't matter who it is. I just think they just all are going to do the same things. And I see, I feel the same way with Oklahoma. Like, Oklahoma, is, if you have the skill set, I mean, that Lincoln Rod is going to put you in a position to make all the throws and put you in that top Heisman race. So that's why I think they put uh, Caleb Williams in there. But you nailed it. I think C.J. got the – 
on from from a statistical standpoint, CJ will have the only person will have the only stats comparable to Alabama because I mean he's he's been letting it rip. I mean he's been going for four hundred yards the past couple of weeks, and as long as he keeps playing at these high levels, they're gonna he's gonna have the games with uh with Michigan State coming up, Penn State coming up. You know he's gonna have the mm-hmm. the tough. The tougher opponents, where he will need to shine in order for Ohio State to win, which will then help him in the Heisman race because it shows him in tough games can he win games and still be uh, outstanding in those games. And the way the schedule is set up is set up for him to do that. So I feel like he does have a chance to jump and and be the one who can win the Heisman. Even missing the Akron game coming into this weekend, obviously Bryce Young has now added another game, but coming into this weekend. Uh, C.J. Stroud was still less than 100 yards away from his total, and I think only four passing touchdowns behind him. So it's definitely something that statistically C.J. Stroud, I think, is going to be on that level. And I don't want to get into the the process of the Heisman just goes to the best player on Alabama every year because they're always going to be up there in the seemingly in the top five, probably in the, the top one or two. All right, we mentioned it. Sure, they had the week off, but we're still going to talk about the Buckeyes. A first half of the season recap next on the Football Brunch right here on The Fan. Common Man has spent the past 18 years telling you how much he hates people. And yes, that probably means you, too. Common Man and T-Bone. Weekdays at 3. The Fan. Football brunch right here on the fan will be with you until two o'clock. So you still got two more hours of chops and Tyvis Powell with you. Uh, I'll also be with Tyvis next Saturday before the Indiana game for the pregame show leading up into that. So it's nice to get a uh, a nice a nice uh, dress rehearsal for the for the pregame show. We'll call it that. One thing I just saw on Twitter that's uh, piquing my interest: Bob McManaman. He writes for uh, the Arizona Republic, so the Cardinals are up in Cleveland taking on the Browns today at 4.05. We'll lead you right up to pregame starting at 2 here on the fan. And uh, Bob's saying the sun is supposed to peak out about an hour after kickoff here in Cleveland. That's nice, especially if you're coming from Arizona. Probably not used to some of the weather, although it just changed in the last two days here in Ohio. But for the moment, it's hailing up in Cleveland. That wouldn't Mm. be good, especially for Arizona, the way... The way they like to run their offense, it's uh, kind of high-flying gunslinger type stuff. The Browns will just go, fine, we'll just run it. Nick Chubb is out, but they still got Kareem on. They'll just run it. Yeah, if the weather stays anything like that, that's not going to be good news for Arizona. No, not at all. I mean, like you say, the Browns, cool. We go, we was going to run the ball anyway. That's not going to mess us up in any way. But I, but Kyler Murray will have to, uh, put his, uh, his big boy shoulder pads on because I imagine it's going to be a lot of tucking and running or he's going to have to have a gun because that wind is going to take that ball away and it's going to open up a lot of turnovers. So they might as well just go ahead and get James Conner ready to go <laughs> there and run the ball because that's exactly what's about to happen. You say big boy shoulder pads for Kyler. Murray. I assume that is a child extra large for him. <laughs> Man, he just, he, I mean, he's been so good. He's been tremendous. And I, I, I'll admit that I was wrong when he was coming out. But man, he still just looks so small on the NFL field with all those other guys around him. It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, he, but he's special. Him and, him and Lamar, they special with that ball mm-hmm. in their hand. They can make, they can extend the play and they can make a lot of things happen that other quarterbacks around the league can't do. So I, I definitely got to give him his credit. It's pretty much a quarterback award, the, like the Heisman, the MVP in the NFL, but it looks like it's going to be a really interesting one this year. And there's some new faces in it. Uh, I don't think 
For sh- I mean, Tom Brady kind of still up there, but uh, Patrick Mahomes, especially with his team performance, they're not doing as well. So I think we're going to see, uh, I guess Lamar has already won one, so he's not really a new face up there. But still, it'll be nice to to see how that MVP race shakes out. As far as MVPs for Ohio State, we're going to go over some midseason awards here. We're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. There's, you could pretty much throw, you could put the, the five guys, the three receivers, Trayvon Anderson and CJ Stroud on a dartboard, throw a dart, whichever one it lands on. You could probably say they're the offense MVP for the first half of the season. So I'm going to take the easy one. I'm going to go with CJ Stroud. <laughs> 104 of 157. That's 66.2% uh, completion percentage, 1,699 yards. So basically 1,700 yards, 18 touchdowns. Three interceptions, a 191.2 quarterback rating for him. And remember, he missed one of the games. So he's only played five games, and he's putting up numbers like that. And then this was what really stood out to me about C.J. Stroud. In October, so the two games in October, sure, it's Rutgers and Maryland, but they're still technically Big Ten teams. It's not you know just a complete, I mean, it looks like a complete walkover for Ohio State, but <laughs> it's still real competition. You know, the Akron game is the one you could say is a complete walkover. But in October, against Rutgers and Maryland, 41 of 56, that's 73% of his passes, 736 yards, 10 touchdowns, no picks, 242.5 quarterback rating. So since he took that week off, kind of got his shoulder right, looks like the nerves of being a freshman and the, the big loud horseshoe have kind of settled down for him. He's not, he didn't sail those balls high that he was doing kind of early in the year, and he looks settled from the first play. Man, he's looked really good. If he keeps playing like that, he's definitely going to find himself, as we said, in the Heisman race and probably in New York come December. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That would have been my pick, but I'm not going to pick the same person. I'm going to pick Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson is having a tremendous season. He has 31 catches, 546 yards, and six touchdowns. And he just, he's just electrifying. I mean, he, when he gets that ball, it's like, it's like, it seems like he's always going to be, it's going to be some type of explosive play when he gets the ball in his hand, whether that's him on like an over route and he, or him catching and running or him just flat out burning somebody down the sideline on a deep ball. I mean, he's just been special. He's been a very tough cover this whole season. Plus, he's also in the special teams game on punt return. He ain't bro- he hasn't broke one yet, but he has all the ability to do so. He's been very close. And he's it trying. Yeah, it. he's not just yeah. calling. Oh, he's definitely back there. there to try. Yeah, he's definitely back there trying to get loose. But there's always somebody that gets to him. If he makes one more person miss, it's gonna be electrifying. Olave does this too, and really all the receivers do, but Garrett Wilson especially. Every, probably twice a game, he does something that you're like, oh, that's what an NFL receiver looks like. That's that kind of play. And he puts that kind of stuff on film. He's going to be a very high pick in the upcoming NFL draft. So will Olave. So good for them. And uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, also great. Also, the other guys that are on the bench are great. The wide receiver room, (laughs) so stacked for them. Uh, Defensive MVP, I'll let you go first. You're the defensive guy. I'm going to go with Ronnie Rocket Hickman. I mean, he's really been the guy that's really – he's all over the field. I mean, he you turn the game or you will see him flying around making tackles. He's been just a tackling machine. He's been a saving grace. He's somebody that I look forward to watching every week. He's just, he's just that guy on defense right now. You ever had a nickname as cool as Rocket? 
No, I, I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I did. That's yeah, that's pretty cool to go out there and people start calling you Rocket, and it's it's going to catch on. For me, uh, I'm going to go with one of the big guys, Haskell Garrett, because because of the leadership he offers, and we're we're hoping that he's okay with uh, whatever ankle injury he's dealing with right now. But um, Haskell Garrett, he's got ten solo tackles, eighteen total tackles on the year, three and a half sacks. As I mentioned, the leadership qualities from him and the way he's come back, you know, we, they have to mention it every game because you know the, maybe the people watching from a national standpoint don't know the story but Askel Garrett after being shot in the face and literally just playing football a few months later and then he's just been on fire since then and the getting the pressure up the middle I think is a huge thing for him especially with the defensive ends not they're still good we still got some good defensive ends and they're doing a good job but we don't have the Bosa or Chase Young on the edge this year so to add that pressure that they're getting up the middle making quarterbacks scared uh, against an even bigger guy coming at them the you know the 300 pounder types that's uh, something that I think's been special for Maskell Garrett biggest yeah, surprise for me the biggest surprise the youth in the defensive backfield. You, you mentioned Ronnie Hickman. He's a sophomore, true freshman. Denzel Burke. We uh, we thought Seven Banks was going to be a bigger contributor than he was. Um, Marcus Hooker hasn't really been around too much lately. It, it just seems like the youth movement, especially in the defensive backfield, has been something. And once they kind of figured it out and they settled down, they made some coaching changes, maybe some some scheme changes in there. The defense has, has turned it around enough for me to, to feel better about them. I know they're better. I still don't know for sure if they're good because Akron, Maryland, and Rutgers doesn't you know exactly say, oh, they're beating the best of the best. But they're still better, and I'm happy about that. And it's really been that youth movement, especially in the defensive backfield. Yeah, I was going to go there too. I was actually just going to pinpoint Denzel Burke. I mean, just the fact that. From from game one, I mean, because coming in the season, I was just like you. I thought Seven Banks and I thought Cam Brown would be the two starting corners. I hadn't even heard of Denzel Burke, but as as these weeks have rolled past, he's the guy that I can't stop thinking about the most. He makes, I mean, he plays with the most confidence in the backfield or in the back end, I should say. Um, he makes the he makes the most plays. They constantly try him, and he's there. To, he plays great coverage for him to be a true freshman and getting it done at this rate. I mean, the sky is the limit for him I'm, I'm interested to see how, how well he does moving forward when he gets to go up against some tougher competition if he can hold his own his own if he can he will be one of those day one draft guys five and one coming in here after the first six games and a pretty impressive outing especially have they have they've turned it around after that loss so not pinpointing the loss as a whole but is there anything that's the most disappointing thing you've seen so far this year it's probably been the pass rush. I mean, it's it's gotten better. It's still not where, you know, the silver bullets, quote-unquote, used to be. But, I mean, it's definitely gotten better in these last couple of weeks. But I st- I would still like it to get, like, much more improved. I want to see some more sacks. Mm-hmm. Like I said, but, like I say, it has gotten better. But that probably, to me, was the most disappointing thing because of all the talent that they have gotten over the years with the, with Zach Harrison. You know, you got the two incoming freshmen. You got Haskell Garrett. You got all these people, and it just hasn't been getting enough pressure on these quarterbacks especially when we play these tougher opponents that is going to be the difference maker in games yeah i like zach harrison a lot but you know in his third year and this isn't really a knock on him because there aren't that many we got spoiled with it 
but I don't think he's going to be at that level of one of the Bosa brothers or Chase Young as far as a pass rusher. He's still really good, but there's some plays where I watch him and I'm like, mm, I feel like Chase Young would have gotten to the quarterback and finished that playoff, but he's still been a tremendous player. But yeah, it would be nice to get a little bit more pressure. I mentioned the interior pressure they've been able to get, and uh, I'll get there on my player to watch in the second year as well. But most disappointing for me, and this is one that had to be night and day, and it looks like they figured it out, but the the linebackers, one, there's been attrition, and they figured out maybe these are the, the right guys to put out. Their steel chambers has been great coming in for them. But, man, especially against Oregon, linebackers just not being in position to start plays, that was very disappointing to me because the defense was something at the end of last year that Ohio State and the fans and the coaching staff, I think, alike all said, okay, this is what they need to work on to, to be better next year, especially losing Justin Fields and you're not exactly sure where the offense might be. Looks like the offense is picking up kind of where it left off, but the defense, they needed to work on that, and then you come into the year and you've got guys not even knowing where to line up on plays. That was frustrating for me, and it looks like they might have figured most of that out, and hopefully that sticks for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, that, that, the linebacker definitely <laughs> is going to be a position that's going to be needed, especially when we got, you know, this Kenneth Walker coming up and, and this Michigan State team that likes to run the ball. And, you know, moving on as it gets deeper into the season, you know, the run game becomes more important. And so you're going to have to be able to stop the run. Player to watch for the second half of the year. I've got Tyleek Williams on Ooh. this one. You know, I, I give Haskell Garrett my defensive MVP, and then you've got – Basically, the guy it looks like he might be able to just hand the torch to at the end of this year as Tyleek Williams has been in there disrupting plays, getting sacks, looking really good from the defensive tackle position. So, okay, defensive ends, you're on notice because the DTs are doing all the work right now, it looks like. Oh, you stole my answer, so I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go to the opposite <laughs> side of the ball. I'm gonna go Jeremy Rucker. You know, he's he's a guy that last year, you know, he came in at the end of the year and he had a uh, uh, he had some plays that was amazing, you know, out of that tight end position. It, he was became an X factor in this season. He hasn't quite been lived up to that standard, but you know, it, it seems like some games he's there, and then there's some games he's not. I, I think moving forward, I think they're going to get him more involved because they're going to need his X factor ability in some of these games. Because I mean, everybody's going to be everybody knows about our wide receivers, which is ultimately going to leave him open on a one on one coverage, and it's up to him to make those plays. Because I think it's just something about having a, a good tight end that comforts a quarterback. On this show, we like to say get rucked whenever Jeremy Ruckert makes a good play. So I'm all for that one. I also want to throw out a Mecca Ibuka. He's going he's gonna to break that kick return touchdown drought. It's going to happen. Oh, he's going to break yeah. one of those loose. Listen, he, he's been teasing us, <laughs> especially right. this last game. It was, I just knew this last week that it was going, he was going to pop one of them. Yeah, he's, he's definitely itching. It's going to happen on one of these kickoffs. One of these teams is going to slip. He's going to get that block that he needs to spring him free. And once he's gone, he is gone. I'm wondering if we agree on this one. The rest of the schedule, who's going to be their biggest threat? I think it's, if Clifford plays, it's going to be Penn State. Where are you going with that one? I was gonna say Michigan State. Okay. I, was, I, I mean, I understand that you know Michigan. Well, the, for one, I want to go on the record that I I completely hate and hate is such a strong word, but I really hate 
Michigan State. I, I really do. I hope they lose every game they ever play in life because I just don't <laughs> like them. They, they cost me two national championships, mm-hmm. so I just I can't stand them for that reason. But I have to give them credit where credit's due. You know, Mel Tucker is, has done a great job of flipping that program around. I think that when obviously when they come to play us, I mean, they're, it's going to be their Super Bowl, so they're going to be hyped and they're going to be ready to show that they could be potentially a top dog in the Big East, so they're going to try to play us tough to try to get to the Big Ten Championship. So that's uh, that's who I feel will be the the toughest opponent. I think Penn State has the closest. It's not the same level, but the closest to the athletes that Ohio State has as far as their defense versus Ohio State's offense goes, and that's the key to beating Ohio State. Ohio State's defense, as I said, it's better, but it's not going to go ahead and win them a game. So if you want to beat Ohio State, you got to find a way to slow down that offense. If not, Ohio State looks like a team that's going to easily cruise to 40 points a game for the rest of the year. Next, we'll discuss what we want to see out of the Ohio State offense and defense over the next six games. Football brunch on the fan. If it's Buckeye football you crave, you come to the right place. And if it's day drinking you crave, you've also come to the right place. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Chaps and Tyvis Powell hanging out with you on the football brunch here on this Sunday. We'll be with you till 2 o'clock when we join pregame for the Browns hosting the Arizona Cardinals. Buckeyes off this week. They'll take on Indiana in Bloomington next week. A 7.30 kickoff for that one. Eh, I'm not too happy about that. I like the earlier games. Tyvis, where do you stand on it? As a player, as a fan, is it different? Do you have a different opinion on which one you liked? What's the best game time for you? As a player, I love the new games because you got up in the morning and you got straight to it. I didn't like the waiting around thing. Although I will say the atmosphere at the night games is way better than the than the noon games. Yeah, it's just that waiting around period, sitting in the hotel all day. It's just it's not for me. It, I, you gotta you gotta manage your emotions all all day, and it's like man, you gotta so I can have energy for the night, and it's. But as a fan, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, as a fan, I like the <laughs> I like the night games. I mean, I don't mind them because I know the the energy and I know they're gonna come to play. But it doesn't matter to me as a fan, honestly. I as long as the Buckeyes go in there and dominate, I, it doesn't really make me a difference. So the Buckeyes are going to start their second half of the season, as I mentioned, seven thirty kick in Bloomington next Saturday. So six games in, six games left in the regular season. What do we want to see in this second half of the year? I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball because I feel like that's where most of the questions have lied this year. The offense has some things that they've needed to work on, but it seemed more like normal. Like, hey, look at the film. Let's improve this. That's why you practice. Figure this out. They they seem to have ironed out some of the wrinkles on that, and the, the offense looks really good. The defense has made some changes that have worked, and I think this is the biggest one. I think they're just about there. They need to find their best 11. So many guys playing in those first couple of weeks, especially the linebacker rotation was all over the place. They need to find who do we want. And now best 11 is, you know, kind of just colloquially because you're going to rotate some guys if you're going into nickel packages, things like that. But who are the best guys on the field? When you need to stop on defense, who do you want on the field? They need to figure out that group. And I think they're getting close to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, I think... Ever since they did the rotation thing, I think as of now they're starting to anchor down on who they who they feel are the best eleven. Um, the linebacker position is the probably the most position that we think about the most. Um, 
But like I said, I, think, I, I like the the rotation. Like I said, I like the Steel Chambers coming in. I like Taraja Mitchell coming in. Um, Cody Simon. I, I like that. You know, they, they, it, it ain't it, they. They have a lot to improve moving forward as far as play recognition and still flying around to the ball to make your plays. But you know, the back end has really come up, come to hand. I'm I'm I'm, I'm not not uh, disappointed in it. I'm I'm. Kinda, I'm relieved, I should say, from what it was to what it is now. I'm kinda, I, I got more confidence in what they're doing. And the pass rush has gotten better. It's still not up to my particular liking. But I'll then again, I am spoiled because I, I did play with Joey. <laughs> so I, I understood that Joey was one of a kind. It makes me appreciate the player that Joey was because it was, it really is difficult to, to uh, replicate that as what a, he was doing. As a defensive back, how much easier does your job get when the team has an elite pass rush in front of you? Oh, it was. Listen, you. <laughs> I knew for a fact that the receiver couldn't hit me with no double moves or or <laughs> nothing like that. Like it, whatever you was gonna run, you better hurry up and get to it because Joey is going to be there in three to four seconds every time. So you know, if you could cover him for a fifth second, that it was pretty yeah, much over. <laughs> yeah, like as long as I, you know, that's when your field preparation, my film preparation comes into play. You know, I studied uh, the formations. Okay, I know what route they gonna run. It usually they. Run inward or outward breaker routes on this down and distance. Let me go ahead and cheat it and just be standing right there and take away the read. But if I take away the read, Joey probably go get the sack, so he should be thanking me. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the offensive side of the ball, I mean, it's really hard to pick out things that they need to really improve on. Just kind of keep continuing on the same track they're going. Something I want to see, and it's been a product of how the games have gone and that he was a freshman and they didn't put him out there right away in uh, the first two games. But I want to see Travion Henderson just like get the whole game as a tailback. Like he's going to, you know, the, when he needs a break and everything, you can bring in a master Teague or a Mayan Williams. But I want to see Travion Henderson have a day like the, uh, the, the tailback from LSU had a 36 carry day and see if this average, this, this yards per carry average that he's had in pretty much all the games, Maryland found a way to slow him down at least in the first half. Uh, last week, but can he keep that up? Can he run for eight, nine yards a carry if he's getting carries throughout the whole game? And what is that yardage number going to look like? That's something I want to see from the offense. A game like that for Travion. Ah, 36 is a little much. He's still a, <laughs> he's still a true freshman. I don't know if his body is He's a is young ready man. The, He'll be fine. Oh, no. He he only been in the, the Mickey Marotti program for a little bit. You gotta wait whole, you gotta get a whole year. All right, how about film. a 26 carry day? <laughs> Hey, we could, we could do that. We could do that. You know, you gotta get, we gotta sprinkle Master Teague and Mayan Williams in there so he can take some of the load off. You got, if you got these three running backs, actually you got like four running backs who can get the job done. I mean, you might as well just spread it out so that way when we get to these championship games, you know, their bodies are still fresh. I think that's ultimately been the mindset. We got so much talent at running back that, you know, we want to keep uh, spreading this running back room around. Let everybody get some spin out there so the bodies are still fresh. Moving forward, I would say I would like to see, you know, CJ just continue to keep improving. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, he's ever since those, the first couple of games where he had the jitters, you know, he's, he's definitely settled in and he's definitely shown why he's the starting quarterback. I just want to see that continue. I don't, you know, I don't want him to have any relapse to the first or second week. I mean, I mean, the, the kid has got to be mentally strong because I mean, if he get, if he got on Twitter the first 
week or the second week of the season, he would have thought he was the worst quarterback to ever play quarterback at Ohio State. <laughs> but now everybody loves him, and now he's making things happen. So I, I just want to see that continue to go, him keep continue to be poised in the pocket and not turning the ball over. All right, so the first half of the season – Pretty even for these two guys, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Garrett Wilson, 31 catches, 546 yards, six touchdowns. Chris Olave, 30 receptions, 494 yards, so about 50 away from Garrett Wilson. He also had the no-catch game against Tulsa and seven touchdowns for Olave. Do you think they stay that even? Do you think it's possible? Are we going to have two 1,000-yard receivers on this Ohio State team this year? I definitely think it's possible. <laughs> the way the way that they Smith and Jenkins at four fifty two as well. <laughs> it's ridiculous, ain't it? It's just it's just flat. It's I'll be watching the stat. I'll be looking at the stats. I'll be like, man, they all got a hundred yards like every game. <laughs> it's and, crazy. Like, every, each one of them have a touchdown. I'll be like, I I see what the problem. Why defenses opposing defenses are struggling? You don't you you think or Olave's the guy. Okay, well, then Garrett Wilson and, and the Jigma gets you. And then you think, all right, Garrett Wilson's the guy. Then Olave, it, it's, it's, it's too much. Then you got Henderson out the backfield mm-hmm. who's, a, who's a, who turned out to be a great pass catcher out the backfield. Chops and Tyvis Powell, football brunch right here on The Fan. We're going to head out to the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline for a little chat with our buddy, Bill Bender. There we go. I wanted to hit that just uh, so we could bring in Bill with with a nice little pearl jam. Hit the post on that. Bill, how you doing today? That's Stone Temple Pilots, isn't it? Oh, you're right. Uh, <laughs> now I sound like an 90- idiot. Look at me. You got, you got a '90s kid here, so uh, no, you're, I shouldn't. You should never correct the radio host. So, how are you guys doing? Good to talk to you. Well, you should correct him when he's wrong, but. Uh, we uh we like to talk to you because you're usually correct, unlike me. So after the loss, and the debate was already open uh, before the loss, based on you know what you read online and how people like to rank teams. But who's the best team in the Big Ten? The Iowa loss gives a pretty easy path for the people to declare the Buckeyes back on top. Where do you sit on that? There's still two undefeated teams up north. Uh, the high State's still the team to beat, though. I mean, yeah. when Ryan Day hasn't lost a Big Ten game yet. I know Michigan and Michigan State feel like they've, they've got a big matchup coming here in a couple of weeks. Iowa's loss showed that maybe the offense isn't what we thought it was, and they ran into a pretty good scheme and couldn't stop David Bell. So you mm-hmm. wonder, if they can't stop David Bell, how are they going to stop an Ohio State team that has four guys like David Bell? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think Ohio State's a team to beat in the Big Ten. I, I guess the larger question for the Buckeyes is where do they fit in that mess of I, I would say three through eight in the playoff picture right now. Hmm. Well, I, me and Chop had an argument on here. Who do you feel is the in the Big Ten uh, poses the biggest threat to Ohio State for the remainder of Ohio State season, Big Ten season, I should say? Well, I think there's an asterisk next to it because if Sean Clifford's healthy, it's probably Penn State, even though they have to come to Penn State. I, I think, you know, we're – whoever wins that Michigan, Michigan state team. And when I watch the Spartans and the Wolverines, I think it's pretty even right now. I think Michigan might be a little better than them because the one concern I would have about the Spartans is the number of penalties they commit in a the game. They committed a lot of penalties yesterday, Tybus. They kind of, but they still won on the road, right? So yeah. 
when those two figure it out, I think November is going to be interesting. But my answer would be Penn State with Clifford, probably followed by Michigan. Bill, this question is going to be a little bit about like the AP ranking. So the poll comes out later this afternoon. Deservedly so, Iowa is going to drop. And I'm sure it will be harsher than Bama's drop last week. And I think that's probably okay. Another thing I'm sure about, though, is Purdue, despite having the same record after their upset win and doing it on the road, 4-2, and two, will not jump into the rankings like Texas A&M did. Are the rankings broken? For me, it's like too many people ask themselves a different question when filling out their AP poll or when, even if they're not a voter, just talking about it. That is it about who you just think is the best team? Is it about what they've done on the field? It is about who, who they've beaten. It does how much should having a zero in the L column count for? There's just the rankings don't normalize at all. Maybe not until the end of the season. And I feel like it's just such a jumbled mess at this point. Well, different people look at different things, and it is a game of perception. Like a guy like me, when I do, so I did our college football playoff picture last night, but I think I had Ohio State six because I did it based on what I think they would be ranked had the playoff picture come out Tuesday because I think right now they're still going to put them behind Oregon until Oregon loses again, which I don't think is going to be a problem. I think they will lose again. Mm -hmm. And then – it really comes down to those kind of things. But to your point about Purdue, I don't vote on the AP Top 25, but I fill out a 25 every week just to kind of keep up with it. And they'd probably be right on the outskirts of it. And, um, yes, the SEC gets a little preferential treatment with that out of the SEC West in particular. But, um, you know, and you asked about Iowa. If I was voting on Iowa today, I'd probably put them at 10. Mm-hmm. Is that too far? I mean, just based on the way they looked versus who would be ahead of them, I think they're probably about 10. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Seeing that we're talking about the uh, the polls, say today, if the if the CFP was to come out today, well, not today. Let me not say that. Let me rephrase this question. Say that Cincinnati wins out for the remainder of the year, and they say, hypothetically speaking, they're the only undefeated team. Do they deserve to be number one, or would you even put them in there at all? I think they would deserve to be in, but I'm also a Mac graduate from Ohio University that's <laughs> always kind of pumped up the group of five. If Ohio University goes, ever goes 13-0, and Tyvis, they better put them number one. So, um, <laughs> I don't care who we play. Um, but, um, you know, I think what they're going to have to deal with, here's the big question that they're going to have to answer at the end of the road, and I'm projecting way forward. But um, let's say Georgia and Alabama play. Nobody loses to this point. And Oklahoma does what they're going to do. By the way, I don't think Oklahoma is going to lose, not with Caleb Williams at quarterback, not in the regular season. High State wins the Big Ten with one loss. Alabama beats Georgia. They leave Cincinnati out in that case, I think. I don't think it's right, but I think the playoff at that point would be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State all with one loss, and um, Oklahoma at 13-0. and do you, do you guys see them doing that any other way if that were the case? No, and that's uh, after that all a- the after all the crazy things that have happened this season. Wouldn't that just be perfect? That it just turns back into those top four. Really, just Clemson was the only one that like got thrown out of the group, and it's still just kind of the mainstays. That that would just be perfect, and so college football. So you mentioned that it looks like uh, Oklahoma has figured it out with. 
Caleb Williams. I mean, if they play like that, they're going to cruise right through the Big 12 and be playoff bound uh, because Oklahoma State undefeated and they're, they're, they might find themselves in the top 10 if Iowa drops even further this week. But I think the way Caleb Williams is playing, Oklahoma looks like the class of that league now and what we thought they were going to look at the beginning of the year. Well, that's a big change. I mean, all of their scoring drives, with the exception of one last night, featured a play of 25 yards or more. Um, I wrote about that last night. The column will come out tomorrow. And I th- and I mentioned that there's only three offenses that I would pay to see jo- play against Georgia right now. And it's Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Because I think they're not the only three offenses. I'm sorry, not <laughs> Iowa. Not, not Iowa. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to leave them off there. But you, you get what I'm getting at. I think those are the only three teams that could stress that Georgia defense and you'd get into it and be like, Oh man, this is fun. Um, Caleb Williams certainly is a difference maker. I, there was one point in the telecast last night where Kirk Herbstreit said, is he a Heisman candidate? And Fowler kind of shushed him. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I think I'm watching the best quarterback in the country right now. And I know that sounds like ridiculous hyperbole, but right now I think he, he gives that, like you said, he makes their offense a big play offense again. Hmm. Wow, that's a lot of credit. Well, speaking of that, (laughs) speaking of that, do you think CJ, if CJ Stroud continues to play, you know, remotely close to how he's been playing these last couple of weeks, do you think he's able to overtake Bryce Young for winning the Heisman this season? Well, I think the problem with the Buckeyes is they've got like three or four guys on that offense that deserve a Heisman vote in terms of talent. I mean, Trayvon Henderson's right there too. I mean, we did our midseason All-Americans, and I'm saying – who is a better running back than him in the country other than Bajon Robinson? I mean, like maybe Ken, I know Kenneth Walker has the numbers and had a fantastic start to the season, but let's see what it looks like at the end. Um, Chris Olave is just filthy. I hope he ends up in a Packers uniform because we need receivers. <laughs> maybe that will Baron Rodgers around. Um, and, you know, see, but to your point, Tyler, say Stroud will get the numbers. He'll get the touchdowns. And I think there's a very good chance he ends up in New York if he continues to do what he's doing over Ohio State's last six or seven games. Well, Bill, we always get smarter when we talk to you. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Brunch today. Yeah, I got to tell, tell Beam the Bears are going down here in about a half an hour. I'll, be, I'll, I'll probably talk to him sometime this week. You guys are the best. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. That's Bill Bender, National College Football Writer for the Sporting News. He appears courtesy of the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Coming up, the Real Big Ten. Who's the new top dog in the conference after the Iowa loss? Football brunch on the fan. Whatever you're doing right now, just know that Bo Bishop is enjoying a sip of bourbon. Even if this promo is playing in the morning. No judgment. Ah, oh, sweet morning drinking. The fan. The pollsters are morons. What are you, a moron? Let's take a look at the real Big Ten. Favorite segment of the week here on the Football Brunch. Chops and Tyvis Powell hanging out with you today. And perfect timing. The game's about to go to overtime in, that, in London and... My TVs hit the four-hour timer and they turn off, so I'll have to wait until the next break because I don't know where the remote is to get that. So, Tyvis, let me know if anything happens. Did they just miss a oh, field goal or oh, did they just miss Ur- a fourth down? No, no, Urban hit it. He just won. It's over? Won. Yeah, okay, exactly. See? Perfect timing. TVs turn off and I miss a game-winning field goal right there. Yeah, that's just perfect. Well, the Big Ten is... Uh, Sort of regressing back to kind of what we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. I think after that loss to Purdue, it's going to equalize Iowa back to kind of where most people expected them to be uh, this year. 
And uh, Tyvis, the way we normally do this, we go like about our top fives back and forth, then our then our back fives back and forth, and then the four teams that we have out that aren't a part of the real Big Ten this week. So I'll start. Buckeyes get back up to number one. The way they're playing on offense, it's just that impressive. And there's there's just not enough out of the two undefeated teams for me to really make a great argument to put them ahead of the Buckeyes right now. So I've got one Ohio State, Penn State number two, and that's kind of contingent on if Clifford plays because. I don't have much confidence in that uh, Roberson kid to come out there and play very well for them after what he did against Iowa in the second half. Three, I've got Michigan. I think they're just a little bit more talented than, say, a Michigan State team, so their undefeated record does put them ahead of Iowa as the, the undefeated team there. Iowa, I've got it four, and I've got Michigan State at five. The Indiana game gave me some pause with Michigan State that, you know, Mel Tucker's doing some good things and he's got that team in the right, uh, in the right move. But I think the second half of this year in the Big Ten, in the Big Ten East is going to be a little rough for Michigan State. So I've got them at five. Hmm. Well, I kind of, my stuff is very similar, actually. I got OSU at one, Penn State at two, Michigan State at three, because I just refuse to put the other one, the top three. But well, you just you said you hate Michigan State too. <laughs> I do, but it, it's just different about that other one. I, I, I refuse to put them in my top three. But they could be. They they are number four. And then I got uh, I got uh, Purdue at five. Oh, you got Purdue at five. So you're giving them the credit for the win. I I don't. It's hard for me to argue against that because I'm big on that, that like the results on the field should matter. And Purdue, what, they've only got the two losses now to Iowa's one and one of them being Purdue. Okay, I don't I don't hate that. Listen, I know you got ties to Iowa, so I, I understand why. It's hard for me to drop my Hawkeyes too far. <laughs> it, the, the thing is, the, the defense still did enough. For me to to still have confidence in the defense, they weren't able to to force those turnovers that they had had, and that really it's funny. That seems like a defensive accomplishment, but really it just hamstrings the offense. It appears for Iowa once they get behind Spencer Petras and Karloftis is just so good. He was just in their face all day long. So I it's it's tough with the Hawkeyes right now. That offense it's uh, it's just not very good. That's all yeah. I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's been like that. Though. <laughs> so it's it, it's shocking that it took Purdue to expose them. But I mean, I always knew that. The, I mean, the defense. But then again, I am one of those person that say if they don't score, they can't win. So it's one of those days, man. That, that David Bell really just <laughs> he just had a game, man. It's yeah. unfortunate if I because I wanted I kind of want Iowa to be good like throughout the whole season. So when we beat them in the championship, it'll hold a lot of weight. But hopefully it can uh, fire the Hawkeyes up uh, again for their last five games. And we'll see what they do with the rest of that Big Ten West schedule. My back five, six, Purdue, a big jump for me. I had said this and it's almost like it's almost comical to me because Purdue, I try to watch a lot of Big Ten football. And for whatever reason, watching other games, never really had a chance to have the Purdue game on on any of my TVs. They weren't playing any of those Friday night games. And so that's usually a chance to check out a team. It's one of the reasons I've seen Illinois and uh, Maryland. Uh, this year, but I had not seen Purdue. And then they come out and they do that against the Hawkeyes. So when I finally get a chance to evaluate them, they look pretty impressive. So six Purdue, seven Maryland. Here's where it falls apart. Here's where I, these last four, I don't think any of these teams are particularly that good, 
but you got to rank somebody. <laughs> so I've got seven Maryland, eight Wisconsin, even though, as I said, Graham Mertz can't throw the ball. They decided to just go. They decided to just run against Army. They said, okay, we'll just play your game and we'll run. Unfortunately, our guy James Laurinaitis had an eight o'clock kickoff Wisconsin Army game that he had to do for BTN. I'm sure that was a, that was a fun one to watch. Nine, uh, Minnesota because they get the victory over Nebraska and 10, Indiana. They actually hop out of it. Not, not so much for getting credit. It's, it, I'll get to it in my out. Indiana's not really getting credit for losing, although I was a little bit more impressed with them in the Michigan State. It's another team that I just can't keep giving them credit for losing that I dropped <laughs> down. Who's your back five? My back five, I got, I got Iowa at six, Minnesota at seven, Maryland at eight. I got them under Minnesota because they – when they played us, they lost like five DBs, so they, they they're going to be struggling for the rest of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, nine, I have Indiana, <laughs> and then ten, I got Northwestern. <laughs> I don't even got Wisconsin in there because yeah, like, it just it's that that it's, it's seven through ten. Who knows really? <laughs> and really, seven through fourteen right now in the Big Ten. I don't know. These teams are all okay. They look like they can beat each other in any given week, but I don't know which one's going to win. I didn't have Northwestern destroying Rutgers the way they did. They took care of Rutgers easily, and Northwestern looks like they haven't been able to do anything on offense all year. Uh, As far as my four out, Rutgers, Illinois, Northwestern. Illinois is the obvious one. Northwestern, yeah, they get the victory, but if I'm going to have Rutgers out, I'm not very impressed that you beat one of the teams that I don't consider in the real Big Ten. And then I had to do it. I, for a few weeks, I'd been very impressed with Nebraska, even though they found ways to corn husk themselves out of games, and they continue to do it. They lose to Minnesota yesterday. So Nebraska, I'm sorry, you're out of the real Big Ten right now because, yes, you've played some close games, but your wins are Fordham, Buffalo, and Northwestern. That's not enough to inspire confidence. You can't just keep running busted plays and Adrian Martinez scoots into the end zone and expect me to be impressed with your offense. It's I, I don't know what Scott Frost is doing. He, they haven't really improved. They only have three wins. They're three and five. They have to win three of their last four to get to bowl eligibility and that includes uh, Ohio State and Iowa. So they have to beat Wisconsin, Purdue. I, I just I don't even think they're going to get to bowl eligibility. You can't keep getting credit for losing. You really, you really feel some type of way about Nebraska. I don't, <laughs> they must have disappointed you. Yeah, <laughs> my, who, who are your four out? My four out is Rutgers. And, and, and this is my thing with Rutgers because because they 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 have turned it around, but they for some odd reason like I thought like when we played or when Ohio State played, I thought it'd be a good game, but like they just. Sometimes they just look like good old Rutgers. And there, yeah, there are other games yeah. where you're like, okay, they've got it. They're doing the right things. But sometimes, yeah, it just goes back to that. Yes. And I be wanting to make it. I wanted to, I wanted so badly to put them at 10, but it's just like, I can't do it. Illinois, Illinois got, they, it's going to take a few years. Yeah. Nebraska, I ain't been big on Nebraska in years. I mean, Nebraska ain't. They, they, I don't, I'm surprised that Scott Frost is still there to be honest with you because Nebraska does some, some stuff that's just like, it, it, it looks bad. And then Wisconsin, they just completely fell off. Mm-hmm. You know, usually they have some type of offense alignment that's really good and they have a running back that's really good. And I mean, I just, 
the quarterback situation is really holding them back right now, which is which is unfortunate because when he made his first start as a true freshman, or I think it was he was a true freshman, maybe a red shirt freshman, he had a really good game. And I was like, man, Wisconsin's going to be – I think it might have been a couple of years ago. I was like, Wisconsin's really going to be nice. And he ever since that game, Nothing. he's never lived up to that ever again. It's just been downhill from there, and it's just been a mess in, in, in Wisconsin. So. And Camp Randall's a tough place to play, so I'm still looking at this Nebraska schedule because you're right, I feel some type of way about the Cornhuskers. <laughs> but, so at Wisconsin, so that makes that one a little tougher. I just, I don't think Nebraska's good enough to beat Purdue, Ohio State, or Iowa. So, best case scenario, they're 4-8 and eight on the season. They have to move on from Scott Frost then, right? I I feel like they you have to. There's no way that you he stays another year if they can't make a bowl. Like they, they, yeah, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. So there you have it. That's the real Big Ten for this week. The Browns have a big one this afternoon. We'll preview their game against the Cardinals next. Football brunch right here on the fan. The only show dedicated to all crew all the time. Take a deep dive into the black and gold with Inside the Crew Tuesday night after the Jackets. The fan. Chops and Tyvis Powell, last hour of the football brunch at 2 o'clock. We will join pregame for the Browns versus the Cardinals up in Cleveland today. Might be a windy day, might be a rainy, might be a hailstorm, who knows. But I think the wind is for sure. Nick Chubb is out, but Kareem Hunt, as as always, will just be able to step right in there. Man, they can they can really run the ball. Before we get to a little bit more on the Browns, Tyvis, two things by you. We got this right there at the beginning of last segment but how about that urban meyer gets his first win uh his first win overseas as well as they win in london they beat his first nfl win first overseas win they beat the dolphins on a last second field goal 23 to 20 so they're doing something right I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good to finally, you know, for that organization, you know, it's good to get that first win under your belt. Now your team has experienced what winning feels like, and they feel they're going to see that. I'm sure Coach Myers is going to treat them good, and they're going to be like, "Oh, let's do this again. Like, like we're going to get treated like this." Is going to inspire them to keep going out there and working hard to do it again. I don't because they want to be better than last season, so they got to find a way to get another win. Find a way to get another win. Trevor Lawrence has looked good. That's been like the it as tough as it's been for them at the beginning of the season. He hasn't looked like, oh man, he's not as good as we thought. So I think they're at least on the right path with a guy like Trevor Lawrence under center for them. They beat a pretty bad Dolphins team. I will say this. The I think the worst case scenario for the NFL is to send teams over and for it to go to overtime. So it's good that it ended on a last second field goal because overtime it, especially trying, can you imagine trying to explain college football overtime to an audience who is still trying to understand football just in general? But even the NFL overtime with the like, it's sudden death if they get a touchdown on the first drive, but they, the other team gets a chance if they get a field goal. It can also end in a tie if the time just runs out and then the game's over. Like, I imagine that would be very confusing, especially if we got all the way to 10 minutes run out and it's a tie. Even though they're used to ties in soccer, I feel like that would be something they'd be like, it's just over. Yeah, it's good that it, it ended. You know, I don't, I don't think Coach Meyer would have been happy with the with a tie. <laughs> so it's a good thing that the kickers do matter. It's good that they that he came in and hit that fifty three yard field goal, and he was able to get them up out of there and get them their first win. I know they having a celebration in the locker room right now. Another thing, uh, Bodie brought this to my attention right before we came back here. 
We talked about that LSU-Florida game, how good that was, and if that win was maybe just enough to to hold on for Ed Orgeron, and uh, it doesn't appear that it's going to be enough. This is from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. LSU and Ed Orgeron have reached a separation agreement. He will not return in 2022, but expected to complete this season, sources tell Sports Illustrated. Negotiations began last week before Florida win. It's us. It's unprecedented in the sport. Coach and school divorcing 21 months after winning it all. So that's, yeah, the, the big one that they, they won the national championship less than two years later. He's going to be out, but they're not firing him right away. They're going to let him finish the year. I don't really know what the benefit of that is. I feel, I guess you can still, that that's the weird thing. You're going to start your coaching search while he's still there. He's like the interim, which is good. I actually made a joke about this this week. Fire Ed Ordron and make him the interim coach, which is kind of what they're doing because he's so good when he's the interim coach. It's going to be a perfect scenario. LSU's not going to lose a game for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I... I don't understand that either. It's it's definitely you coach differently. It's not you. I don't feel like you're as passionate when you know that you're gone at the end of the year. It's right? Like ah, if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. Who cares? And at least with like an interim guy, he feels like he's getting a tryout, and he might try to really and maybe he'll impress you. But with a guy who just knows he's leaving, what's the motivation? Right. And it's like now the kids, the players will be affected by this because it's like if our if our head coach and our leader don't care, then <laughs> why should we type thing? And now that might that attitude might carry on to the next season. So I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, it's it's an odd choice. But either way, Ed Orgeron, national championship coach with Joe Burrow just a just a couple of years ago, he's going to be gone from LSU. And that's a big job. That's a really important job in college football. That's, you know, Texas was open last year and Saban can't do it forever. So the next guy LSU hires, you would really hope is a hit because it's got to be getting near the end of Saban's tenure. He's got it. I mean, he, you'd think he'd have to retire at some point. Maybe he won't. Maybe Saban will just coach for another 20 years and it'll, ne- it'll never happen. But I would think he does. And if LSU hires the right guy, then they could become the class of the SEC West. Nobody else is ready to step up with them except for Jimbo Fisher, who's got a. Did you see this is I now I'm going on a tangent, but did you see Jimbo Fisher's <laughs> buyout is like $95 million right now? Is it really? Yes. See, that, I had a I had a friend that told me that you know when you when you're doing uh, college football you don't want to be like great you want to be just like good yeah because just to get a big get, contract that has a yeah, buyout you, yeah because if you get fired I mean you can go get another job and you you can start double dipping you can get paid from this program and this program <laughs> but if you just one good coach like if you're a great coach then you're just gonna be stuck in one spot and you're gonna go get that check. Yeah, why be the best and make nine million when you could be near the best and make six million from one school and six million from another school in the same year? That's exactly that's the that's the idea. Speaking of coaches and what it means if they're around or if not, we we mentioned Nick Chubb being out and Kareem Hunt. Pretty easy for him to step into that role. You know, they basically share the carries anyways. Kareem Hunt getting you know similar to starter type numbers for them. They're the best one two punch in the running back game in the NFL. This one might be bigger of somebody being out because not as easy to just step up and replace him. Now, he's not a player on the field, but Cliff Kingsbury, he won't be coaching today after testing positive for COVID-19 for the Cardinals. They will also be without quarterbacks coach Cam Turner and uh, sack leader Chandler Jones and defensive tackle Zach Allen. The Chandler Jones one's also really big because we know he can get to the quarterback, and that's going to make Baker's day probably a little bit easier. But the Cliff Kingsbury one is the one that stands out to me, and... uh because they're they're so based around 
the personality of their coach. And I think that's why they, you know, they hired him and let him draft Kyler Murray and they, they've been trying to figure that out. He's basically been trying to recreate a super high powered Big 12 offense in the NFL. And for the most part, it's looking like it's starting to work. Will they be able to have that kind of magic with him not on the sidelines today in Cleveland? Well, I mean, ultimately, I think that Kyler Murray understands the game plan and how, uh, Cliffsbury call plays and stuff. So I think, you know, he'll, he'll have the right idea what to do. Um, the good news is that, you know, last week, uh, the Brown secondary had a couple of coverage busts and, and they had a couple of injuries. So, you know, this, they're coming in at a time where, you know, our, our the uh, secondary unit isn't as strong and hasn't looked as well. So they can probably try to take advantage of that. But, the good thing about Cleveland is that the weather is playing a part now. So <laughs> all that might completely go out the window and it might turn into a ground and pound game, which we would love for that because we would definitely will favor Cleveland with the offensive line they have and with the defense that we have as far as linebackers and D-line. I think it won't be effective. Yeah, if they can start to get to Kyler Murray, that's going to really frustrate him and then you won't have maybe the – Whatever in-game adjustments without their having their their you know real head coach there that might be difficult and it's funny because the 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 Browns dealt with this in the playoffs last year without Stefanski and they really just took it to the Steelers. Hopefully that's not something that happens for the Browns today. Kingsbury uh, was talking to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero too, and he said uh, Stefanski gave him some advice being out as a you know for COVID as a coach. Just turn your phone off. Don't uh don't wait for all the you know whatever people are trying to text you or notifications or anything. Just sit there, watch the game, take the moments to just be inside the game for that. So that's uh, Stefanski's uh, advice to Cliff Kingsbury. Last thing for uh, this game right now: the Cardinals. They're five and zero. They're the last undefeated team in the NFL. Sometimes. Obviously, you would want to be undefeated, but I feel like especially in the NFL where it's not really a necessity that you win all your games, the the O in the loss column can be a little bit more distracting than it is good for your team. And maybe uh, I'd be interested to see what the Cardinals, if it is today or if it's later, if they start to play even better after they pick up their first loss. I know that seems counterintuitive, but sometimes I think it's it's distracting the idea that you got to be perfect and you got to keep that record perfect. And when you finally pick up that that first loss, you go, okay, we're still a good team, and then you can just really focus on the football of it. No, I'd rather just keep winning. You want to keep winning? <laughs> yeah, I'd rather win them all. Listen, we got to learn a lesson. We need to learn it in a win. You know, I think I think it's just more motivating. You haven't lost. You haven't experienced losing. So therefore, why start now? Like I don't. You know, we don't need to bounce back. We can learn from our mistakes and still get the win. So I think I think they play extra hard. Knowing that they're trying to protect that that loss column, they don't want to put that. For, they don't. Nobody wants to be the reason that a team loses. So therefore, they're gonna be. They're gonna play hard to make sure that they're on their A game. To make sure they're doing everything they can to help the team win. Elsewhere in the AFC North today at 1 p.m., the Bengals are up in Detroit taking on the Lions. Obviously, that game has already started. Uh, it's zero zero right now. This is a big one for Cincinnati. Three and three just sounds like ah, kind of where you would expect them to be. Four and two, especially the way they played last week against Green Bay, a, a pretty good team. Obviously, as the defending MVP, uh, quarterbacking their team, 
if they can find a way to win this and it looks like, okay, those other wins aren't just a fluke and they didn't just play a close game because they were feeling excited against Green Bay. If they can get to four and two, I think that makes a big difference. And it looks like they actually just scored. So we've got a nice Joe Burrow touchdown pass here, uh, one of the first drives of the game for them. So it's uh, pending the extra point. It's 6-0 right now up in Detroit. But again, three and three just says average team. They're They're looking better. They're on the right track. Four and two is a, a difference maker for this Cincinnati team that they're going to be up there. They four and two is a statement that they are going to compete with Cleveland and Baltimore for the AFC North title. Yeah, I, yeah, you hear four and two. Four and two definitely sounds better than three and three. And Cincinnati has been surprising this whole season. I mean, they 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 were not a team that people were expecting to be doing this well. You know, especially not really addressing the offensive line in the draft. You know, they decided to draft uh, Jamar Chase. And, you know, with him having the preseason that he had with a lot of drops, and he talking about the balls different and all that. It was like, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't think y'all going to be all that. But the the thing is, you know, Joe Burrow is Joe. Joe Burrow is just a, he's a winner. He's, he's a confident guy. I don't think he cares what the matchup is. He's going to find a way to get it done. And he's going to always be the best that he can be and he makes the most out of his opportunities and that's a guy that I feel like a lot of people can play for and I think that's ultimately what's driving this team they're all they're all getting that mindset that Joe Burrow is is uh is giving off you know he's he's the one he's the leader of this team and they go as he go as good as Joe Burrow is I don't think he's the best quarterback in the division and that other that guy who is probably the best quarterback in the division he's playing right now after what he showed me last week against uh, against the Colts, Lamar Jackson, man, if he if he can start throwing like that, and you still couple in his running ability, and he's had some game, but I mean, just the he was like the first quarterback to ever throw for three hundred yards and have eighty five percent completion percentage, something whatever the weird ESPN stat was. It was still very impressive in a comeback win. They're playing the Chargers right now. It's zero zero, but uh, they're the they're the driver's seat right now, and it's surprising to me with all those injuries they were dealing with that they're in this position, but. They find a way to beat this Chargers team. That, I think, vaults them up to uh, a, a lot of people's power rankings because the Chargers right now seem like they're maybe 1A, 1B class of the AFC with the Bills. So you find a way to beat the Chargers, and now you're up there in that conversation if you're the Ravens. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with the given the – the preseason that they had with all the running back injuries that they had, you know, a lot of people. It was like every day up. a new Ravens injury. Yeah. Then they had the, they had uh, Marcus Peters go down. They have all their running backs go down. So it was kind of like, man, they're kind of done for this season. But everybody forgot how special Lamar is and his ability, you know, that, yeah, he was an MVP just, what, two seasons ago. And people kind of forget that he's electrifying and he's very hard to defend. And he's really putting this team on his back. I think I've seen a stat where he got, he got more offensive yards than like, than like, uh, two thirds of the league or I something saw like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he like eighth or sixth in the league in, in yards total your offense by himself. <laughs> And that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, that, I mean, that's a man who deserves to get paid. If he has, has he got paid yet? I don't think he has. No, he hasn't. He's, yeah. uh, he's his own agent, so he's busy right now. He can't do the <laughs> negotiations. I think, yeah. I, I remember that stat. I think he's, there's 18 teams, teams with less yards than Lamar Jackson. He'd be the 14th. 14th team as far as or 15th or 14 teams with more yards than him he'd be 15th 18 teams behind him that's that's insane and he's definitely going to be up there in that mvp 
uh, discussion. We'll talk about the Steelers and the Seahawks a little bit later on their Sunday night football. But coming up, order up Bodie's Brunch Special of the Week Football Brunch right here on The Fan. The only radio station still operating with an active booze cart. I'm drunk right now. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. The Fan. Ohio Sports Destination. Chops and Tyvis Powell hanging out. Football brunch here on a Sunday. We'll be with you until 2 o'clock when we enter pregame coverage of the Browns versus the Cardinals. Tyvis, this is, I like this segment because it's like going into a restaurant, seeing that they have a special or a soup of the day, not even asking the waiter what it is and just saying, you know what, I'll have that. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to throw it out to Bodie. I have no idea what the brunch special is. Bodie. Give us your special. All right, we got uh, multiple specials, I guess, today because I have five questions for you guys. These five questions are kind of based on stuff that's happened through the first month plus of the NFL season here, and it's going to be a, like, is this thing going to continue? Is the theme going to continue for the rest of the season, or is this going to cut off? We're going to start at number one here. One of the maybe biggest surprises of this season, especially in a negative way, is the Chiefs. They've gone off to a 2-3 and three start here. I did see they are up 7 nothing on Washington a second ago, but nonetheless, 2-3 and three start. A little bit of surprising for the reigning AFC champs. So this is going to be just kind of like overreaction or proper reaction. The Chiefs are uh, in real trouble of missing the playoffs in the AFC. I th- mm. I think overreaction, but it's it becomes more of a number crunching thing for me. I think the Chiefs will figure it out enough, and Mahomes is so good. He's one of those guys that it's just like, ah, I can't really go against them. But they keep playing like this, and they pick up a few more losses because they can't play defense. Well, the Chargers are going to win their division. So now you're looking at the wild card for them. Well, we know at least one wild card team is likely coming from the AFC North with the way that's playing. So now there's only two wild card spots left. Do they have enough to get? I think, I think in their division, the the Broncos were fake good. They're going to fall off. The Raiders have a whole nother thing going on. So I think they're pretty <laughs> safe that there's not going to be multiple teams from their division, which maybe a couple of weeks ago you weren't so sure about. So. There's not going to be two teams from the AFC South making it, and then that leaves the AFC East. So it's kind of up to whether or not the Patriots are any good this year, which is funny because the it's like the Tom Brady and then the Patriots. I don't know. It's just the, the connection there with taking out Mahomes is interesting to me. I think they figure out a way and they find a way into the playoffs. That's my gut feeling because I'm not going to bet against a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I agree. I think they find a way to get it done. Um, they find a way to get in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to go far in the playoffs, but I do think that they're going to turn it around. They're going to find a, a defensive scheme and then that's going to work. And Mahomes understands that. I mean, it's Mahomes. He's going to play better. I mean, some of these little interceptions that he had, like the, the two interceptions he had last week, you know, some of them wasn't his fault. Well, I think one bounced off of Tyreek uh, Hill's uh, hands. I think they'll just be they'll be better on offense moving forward. I think the biggest problem is that they have a young offensive line, but now that they're getting experience, they're gonna they're gonna uh, mesh together, and by the end of the season, they're gonna be clicking. And Mahomes is gonna find a way to get those get them into the playoffs. All right, we'll uh, keep the theme here with the AFC playoff picture. One of the surprises in a good way, and we're going to keep things in the Buckeye State here, the Cincinnati Bengals off to a nice little 3-2 and two start. They're up 7 nothing on Detroit, just keeping tabs on that score there. A uh, overreaction or proper reaction, the Bengals will make the playoffs in the AFC. 
I think they're not going to, and I think it comes down to Zach Taylor isn't quite the right guy to get it going for them. He's done a really good job here now in year two with Joe Burrow. I think it's his third year with the Bengals, but year two with Burrow. They're doing just enough, I guess, to protect him. I was still a little nervous about the Jamar Chase pick, and not so much about Jamar Chase, but just about who's going to protect Joe Burrow. Well, the Jamar Chase has worked. The pick has worked out as he's been lights out for them and been Burrow's basically favorite target, at least for the deep ball. But I just don't think they're going to have enough to win the division. And then again, it becomes numbers. Of, but, hmm, it again, it kind of comes down to that Patriots team. And if they can be a team that, that threatens for the wild card, because like I said, AFC South out of it. Are the Chiefs going to be there? Are, is it realistic to think the AFC North gets three teams in the playoffs and then it's between those other teams? It's it's tough, but I, I'm i going to go with no on the Bengals. Uh, I don't think they're going to make it. Um, I think the problem is I think the Browns is better than them. I think Baltimore is better than them. So I think I just think they're not going to have enough. I don't see three teams I mean, it's possible, but I just don't see three teams out of this division making the, it to the playoff. The back end of the AFC playoff picture is really wide open. There's The NFC is a lot deeper, and there's a lot more like you can go into those arguments with the AFC. It's really hard to pinpoint who the like last two wild card teams are going to be. I'm not sure at this moment. Last year, the Bears made it in. They grabbed that last wild card spot at eight and eight. I don't obviously you can't go five hundred this year. You're going to go eight or nine or nine and eight, or I guess you can go eight, eight and one. But nonetheless, <laughs> I could see the Bengals kind of doing that, going right about five hundred and grabbing that spot because maybe there's nobody else good enough. Maybe yeah. the Bengals would be like, okay, solid season, and they get in due to that. But nonetheless, on to number three out of our five questions here, the we'll switch over to the NFC. The last undefeated team in the NFL. The Arizona Cardinals, they'll take on the Brownies today at 4 p.m. The Cardinals should be the NFC favorites. No, I don't think they're the best team in their division. I think the Rams are better than the the Cardinals. Did they play a game already and the Cardinals won? Am I? Yes, they, yeah. they killed them just a couple weeks ago. Here. Yeah, that's the tough part, though. I, I don't like doing that, but... I just think that the the Matt Stafford stuff is really going to work out in L.A. So right now, like if I was doing power rankings, I would have Arizona ahead of the Rams. But I think by the end of the year, they figure that out. The 49ers are having a tough time, and now they're dealing with injuries. Same with the Seahawks. With Russell Wilson out, they're not going to compete. So it's going to come down to those two in the division. And probably the winner of it ends up being the number one seed in the NFC. And I think by season's end, the Rams will find a way to put all of that together. And they were coming off a big game against the Buccaneers when they did lose to the Cardinals. So a little bit of maybe a hangover on that one. I don't think they'll be caught off guard the next time they play Arizona. I agree. I don't I don't see them as the uh the top dogs in the NFC. Uh I kinda I'm actually torn but like between like three teams in the NFC and Arizona's not even one of them. I'm torn between Tampa Bay, Green Bay and the Rams. Them is the three teams that I see as the top dogs, even though I do understand that Arizona beat the Rams pretty good actually it was <laughs> they beat it really good but I just felt like it was one of those fluke games uh they in the same division so they'll have a chance to play again and I think it'll be a different uh outcome the next time they play and you know obviously the Rams beat Tampa Bay so I, that that's yeah <laughs> man, Tampa Bay's dealing with with uh secondary issues with injuries so it's hard to really put all my chips in that basket but I don't bet against Tom Brady and Green Bay, I feel like 
I, th- I feel like uh, Green Bay is on some Michael Jordan last uh, dance thing. Yeah, and they going out with they gonna try to go out and win a championship together for one last time. So that that's why I got them in there. Yeah, it comes down to quarterback play, and Kyler's been really good. But those other three teams, I think their quarterback plays a little bit better than what Arizona's going to have down the stretch. We're going to take Bodie's next two questions on the other side of the break. Also, what's going on in the one p.m. game so far? Football brunch on the fan. Feel unappreciated? Things not working out the way you imagined? Bad news. Sometimes life sucks. Good news. We don't. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Chops and Titus Powell, football brunch right here on The Fan. We've got the coaches poll out right now. The Buckeyes are up to number five. The rest of your top five appears to be Georgia number one, Oklahoma steps up and passes Cincinnati at number two. This is just the coaches poll, though, not the AP poll, so we could see a little bit different here. I believe the AP poll comes out around 2 o'clock today. Cincinnati, number three. Alabama, number four after their 49-9 to win against Mississippi State. So there you have it. Buckeyes, number five in the coaches poll. We'll get the AP poll around 2 o'clock. All right, Bodie, what are your last two questions? All right, fourth uh, out of the five here, I am going to take a look at the rookie quarterbacks. There were five drafted in the first round. They've all kind of struggled a little bit, admittedly. I'm not sure any of them have looked that great, but nonetheless, our guy Justin Fields, will he end up as the best uh, rookie this season amongst the five that were drafted in the first round? Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, like the go with the he, listen, listen. If he continues to keep starting, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they the the uh Chicago's been winning, right? They won the They beat last, the Raiders. Okay. And then they beat they won their last game against Raiders somebody. was last week. Oh, was it? I thought they that won the game before. Oh, they that. beat Detroit two they beat, weeks ago. Yeah, oh, they beat yeah. Detroit and they beat the Raiders. Although the Raiders won, I feel like they they were pretty distracted last week. Especially, <laughs> I mean, they didn't. It had obviously all that news came down Monday, but I feel like John Gruden probably knew something was 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 a brewing there. But either way, I'm, I'm not going to take away credit. You're right. I think Justin Fields could be the best. The only one that because uh, I Trevor Lawrence isn't going to find enough success so if we're, i mean we're looking at team success i think the bears are going to be better than the jaguars mac jones is the one that interests me just because belichick does some some tricky things and he knows what he's doing so maybe mac jones has a better team success but i think fields is better than mac jones all right we'll move on to our fifth and final one here on the opposite end of uh the rookie quarterback spectrum is of course tom brady who's like 60 and still just dominating the league uh tom brady will he win his fourth mvp award which would move him into second all time for most mvps one will he win the mvp it's crazy he's like advanced stats like playing better than he was in his 20s and he's in his 40s it doesn't even make sense like i I guess it's true that if you eat healthy and take care of your body that you're going to be in good shape. Who knew? But Tom Brady takes that to a whole new level. Um, can he win the MVP? It's a, it is going to be kind of a wide-open year for that. I don't know. I really like Lamar Jackson getting his second. After that game against the Colts, I'm, I'm very high on Lamar Jackson because if the, if the Ravens keep winning, it's going to be all him because of the injuries they're dealing with. So I like Lamar Jackson actually as, as my, you know, I, I, maybe not an odds-on favorite, you know, how that works, but like just if I'm just picking with like who I think's playing really well and who I think can do it, I think it's going to be Lamar Jackson. So no. I don't think Tom Brady wins the MVP. Who wants to vote for him? Everybody's tired of Tom Brady. <laughs> listen, listen. I I agree. I I got Lamar Jackson as my favorite winner, but Tom Brady, 
can definitely win it. I mean, he's leading yes, the he league. Can, yeah. He's leading the league, I think, in passing yards and passing TDs. So, and their defense, I mean, well, their defense is pretty good, but their passing game isn't, I mean, their passing defense isn't that great. But the reason that they are winning games is because of him, really, because of the offense. He, I mean, he's putting up like 40 points a game now. So I think if, I mean, he he just as important to his team as Lamar Jackson is. So, uh, yeah, it, he could could he? Yeah, he could win it for sure. He could. All right, the this is really heating up on Twitter. This Orgeron news. So I kind of want to phrase the question to you, Bodie and I were talking about this in the break. You know, things have been a little shaky down in Jacksonville for Urban Meyer, and when the USC job opened up, there were rumors of, oh, would he take that job? Now the LSU job is going to be opened up. If you, it's not even if you were Urban Meyer. If you were somebody like Urban Meyer and you were one of those, you know, top coaching prospects for college football, which job would you rather have? LSU or USC? Hmm. It's tough. So I, Bodie and I were talking in the break. I think LSU, LSU clearly has the better recruiting ground. So I think at USC yeah. it'd be a little tougher because you'd have to, you'd have to um, figure out the recruiting aspect, get that back up to par, and then get the team good. Whereas I think LSU could come in right away and recruit well, and then you'd only have to, you'd really just have to find a way to make the team good. You are competing with Bama, though. That's something Bodie brought up. Pac-12 a little bit easier to win if you're at USC, but nobody watches Pac-12 games. That's the problem. Nobody cares. Yeah, I I think the LSU game is more I mean the LSU is more appealing than the USC. But I will say that if you go to USC, I mean cuz USC has been a is a dominant pro. I mean just LSU is too, but I think recruiting in California, I think more kids will want to go to USC than LSU cuz I feel like if you go to LSU, you're kind of getting some players that Alabama couldn't get. I feel like makes sense. Yeah, I feel like all you got to do to at USC to kind of get interest back up, make a college football playoff, and then you can roll that into more success. And then all of a sudden, USC should be the the class of the Pac-12. That's the thing for USC is I think one right coaching hire, and all of a sudden they're the best team in the Pac-12, and it's probably not even particularly close. Whereas LSU, you could hire, you could bring Saban back, and if he's still like theoretically, if Saban could exist twice. And he was still at Alabama, but you also had somehow Saban at LSU. I'm not even sure that LSU gets past Alabama, even with a Saban clone coaching the Tigers. I think one way, I think you said something that was like really good there. And Tyvis, you kind of said it too, was like, if USC did what LSU did just two years ago, I think USC would just start rolling after that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw LSU literally win the title two years ago and they've just completely fallen apart. I think if USC, once you get that ball rolling, I don't think there's any like Alabama. Well, I know for a fact there's no, you know, Oregon and some of those other schools out there, UCLA, whoever else you want to throw on there. They're not Alabama and Georgia. They're not going to all of a sudden just be right back in it with you like that the very next season funny thing is orgeron's been at both of those schools in yeah. recent memory <laughs> so there's something there's something about ed orgeron that uh it, he's intriguing i wonder what he does what like where does he go does he does does saban want to take ed orgeron into his like coach rehabilitation program and ed orgeron's going to come coach uh be an analyst for alabama for a year or two i don't know i don't know what's next for ed orgeron he's got to be up there he's got to be in his 60s right i mean he seems like he's i don't know how old is that orgeron 
That's a good question. He got to be up there, actually. He's been around for for a long time. Ed Orgeron is 60, so he just turned 60 in July. So he's still got some years left in him if he wants. He's uh, I would call him an acquired taste. I don't think you could bring him in to just with the with the accent and everything. But, I mean, he was at USC, and they, they kind of liked him. He was an interim, but then they they decided not to not to roll with him. I don't know what would be next for Ed Orgeron. Maybe he follows uh, Les Miles and goes and coaches Kansas when they inevitably fire Lance Leopold or whoever's there right now because Kansas is never going to be good at football. Yeah, maybe. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, that that's a that's a drop if he goes to Kansas like that. <laughs> that's I I don't think he would fall that hard. <laughs> but I mean, you know what? People do that all the time. Like Lane Kiffin went to. Uh, he went to fan when well, I found you. Oh my God, he went to FAU and he turned that program around. So it, it's possible he can make Kansas a, a a team to to be reckoned with again. All right, so two big jobs are going to be open in college football, and they'll have to be filled this year. And Urban Meyer's name is just going to keep coming up around them. It's just uh, something he has to deal with being a, a technically available college coach, even though he's coaching right now in the NFL. All right, we're going to go over some other games that pique our interest for the rest of the day as well as look at some of uh, what's going on in the 1 o'clock games right now, and then we'll get you to Brown's pregame coverage, football brunch on the fan. If you miss a Buckeye game, it's because your radio is in tune to the right place. Always and forever, your home for the Buckeyes, the fan, Ohio's sports destination. Football brunch, Chops and Tyvis Powell, just about 10 more minutes with us before we hit pregame for the Browns hosting the Arizona Cardinals today. And I forgot to ask you this earlier in the show, but usually when we have a new guest on and now we have a, a new guest host with you, Tyvis, we ask them, since we're the football brunch, well, what is your go-to brunch thing? Are you a Bloody Mary guy? Are you a pancakes guy? Do you like steak and eggs, mimosas? What do you go to if you're if you're indulging in brunch? What's your pick? Chicken and waffles every Ooh. single time. <laughs> you cannot go wrong with chicken and waffles. It's, as a matter of fact, it, it's actually making me hungry right now. I might, I might go upstairs and make some. <laughs> Syrup on anything is just like, I mean, because it's just adding like sugar and stuff like uh like the McGriddle, have you ever had a McGriddle? It just works. It's got that syrup in the in the like bread, the like pancake bread patties, and it just works. It's not good for you, but it works. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a McGriddle just recently too. I, you're right. It's just, it's it's some things that's just you know, and it's a good thing McDonald's that you get you get breakfast all at any time. <laughs> right. Man. That's the that's the greatest thing they ever did, but. Yeah, man, that McGriddle is something special. It, it talks to you every time. Is any breakfast food really good for you? I mean, if you make like breakfast at home, but I feel like any restaurant breakfast food just isn't very good for you. It's probably pretty high in the calorie intake. But that's why you only do brunch every so often, and you can do it most Sundays here on The Fan. will be on 11 to 2 if the Browns are playing uh, not at 1 o'clock. So, like, next week they play Thursday, so we will have another 11-2 to 2 football brunch next week. As far as the games going on today, I think the most intriguing one for me in this uh, this 1 o'clock 
time segment. The Bears-Packers is pretty good. Rams are trailing the Giants 3 nothing right now in the second quarter. But I like this Chiefs-Washington game because uh, the Chiefs are up 10-3 to right now. So can they turn it around? Can they find a way for their, their defense to, to make some things happen for them? And then their offense takes care of business the way they do. Also, Sean Taylor's number is being retired at halftime for this game. And that's just a, a great way to honor him. And he was lost way too soon. Sean Taylor, man, what a player. You're a former safety. Sean Taylor, one of those guys you looked up to? Absolutely. I used to watch his films before every game. <laughs> he was just different, man. It was He was the, the perfect uh, speed and power. I mean, the way he just ran through people, it was – Ooh, he played the game how it's supposed to be played. <laughs> Man, he just didn't care what, what you were. I, he does not care if you're a punter and it's the Pro Bowl. If you're out there running the ball, he's going to smoke you. you, ever, oh, yeah. you have you seen that one? Oh, yeah. He just, he, and he got up and just kept running. He's one of those guys that never – he kept his feet moving on contact, and which in the game of football, whoever does that typically has the most success. Now, I know you're going to be watching the Cardinals and the Browns. As we mentioned, Nick Chubb is out, so it's probably going to be a really heavy dose Kareem Hunt day. Cliff Kingsbury has COVID, has tested positive for COVID-19, so he will not be coaching with the Cardinals. Any of these 1 o'clock games, which one are you turning on when we're done with this show here in just a couple of minutes? I'm probably the Bengals. That, no, nah, I ain't gonna watch the Bengals because I would watch the Bengals because Joe Burrow's on my fantasy team. But the, <laughs> the most intriguing game has to be the Bears and Packers because, mm-hmm. I mean, that it's like a that's a divisional rivalry game. Um, Justin Fields is playing and he's been looking good. I want to see you know Green Bay is a team that a lot of people respect. So if he can do well against Green Bay, then he'll get the credit that he deserves, and I want to see if he can handle those that that situation, that moment. And if he finds a way to win, Justin Fields, the Bears go to four and two, and the Packers would be four and two. So then you actually got a real di- uh, division rivalry there. The uh, the Vikings in that division, they're pl- they're two and three right now. They're currently playing the Panthers, and the Lions have not been great this year. They're zero and five. They've just found ways to lose uh, throughout the whole season. The the afternoon games, the Browns one interests me the most. The Raiders, Broncos, Cowboys, Patriots. Uh, I want to see the Cowboys like if they can keep up the pace they're playing on offense, and if they continue to look that good. But I think they'll take care of the Patriots. How about the night game, the Seahawks and the Steelers? Uh, Russell Wilson's out. It's a home game. It's night. It's Sunday night football. Pretty much everybody who's an NFL fan watches Sunday night football. Everybody's going to be watching. Can the Steelers find a way to win this one? Is it a way to turn around their season? I don't think so. I think Ben Roethlisberger's arm is cooked. I think it's done. I don't think the Steelers are going to be very good this year. And uh, uh, it looks like they're going to finish last in the division to me. Good God! I'm taking I'm taking strong opinions today. I, I see. I'm in a bad mood after the Iowa Purdue game. You clearly you put you wear your heart on your sleeve. <laughs> I think I do. I don't disagree with you. That's the funniest part about it is that I don't disagree. Um, yeah, I don't. I think it's time. I think the Ben Roethlisberger era is coming to an end. Um, they they didn't address that offensive line, and that is – I mean, I feel like they have talented, skilled players, but they don't have the offensive line, nor do they have the quarterback to uh, get things done. So I think they will finish last in the division because I just don't see Cincinnati falling off. I, 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 I mean, I think they're going to lose to some, some tougher opponents, mm-hmm. but as far as, like, just completely falling off, I don't think that's going to happen because they just – I mean, they, they, they have a – 
they have offensive weapons that's hard to stop. That like Jamar Chase is doing better than every anybody ever thought that he would do. Um, Joe Mixon is is like a top rusher in the NFL so when he's healthy. When healthy, yes. So as long as they stay healthy, I don't I don't see them falling off, and I do see Pittsburgh. Uh, but and I just can't imagine with Seattle going to two and four. I, it's it's kind of just don't it don't sit right with me. Who's playing quarterback for Seattle today? Geno Smith. Geno Smith. Uh, yep. I remember now that you say that name, I'm like, yeah, I remember seeing that around this week. Man, Geno Smith. Haven't heard from him in a long time. Uh, at least that's like a, a backup that makes sense for Russell Wilson. He can offer you similar things, at least with his feet. I'm not sure he can offer the similar things with his arm that Russell Wilson has. But Russell Wilson's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So, well, he stepped in last week when Russell went down, and I mean, he he gave them a chance to 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 win the game. I mean, he kind of he threw the pick at the end, but he. He seems like he was poised. I mean, it, obviously it wasn't his first rodeo. He's been in that position mm-hmm. before, but yeah, he handled himself really well. So I'm I'm interested to see if uh if this Steelers defense can rattle him up, or will he continue to remain poised and make all the right throws? That's interesting with with the NFL. It seems like if a quarterback like is a starter and kind of loses that pedigree, that we kind of just write him off, but. It's hard to write off like the experience a guy like Geno Smith has. Like he knows what he's doing. It's not the bright. The lights aren't going to be too bright for him on Sunday Night Football in Pittsburgh. The Steelers, yeah, I mean they lose this one. That puts them in a two and four hole to to start the year, and I don't think they're going to be able to to climb their way out of it. They they feel like a team that they're gonna like the teams that are better than them. They're going to lose too, and the other games are going to kind of be a coin flip. Monday Night Football, last one we'll talk about here. This looks like possibly an AFC championship game uh, preview. A game like this, I could see the Titans keep rolling through uh, on the back of Derrick Henry all the way to the AFC title. And the Bills have been lights out the last couple of weeks, winning by like 28 points a week for like three or four weeks in a row. How do you see that one shaking out? Uh, you know, it's one of those ones where I feel like if uh, Julio and A.J. Brown get back to 100%, yeah. you know, they'll be, they'll be able to, the play action will work tremendously with them. They should be wide open. But right now, while they're down, I mean, they have to ride the back of Derrick Henry. He's shown huh, many seasons that he can, that he has no problem carrying the load yep. while everybody, while they try to figure something out. All right, we're heading into pregame coverage. Browns versus Cardinals coming up at 4.05. This has been the Football Brunch right here on The Fan. It's time to get a master's class in all things Ohio State and Big Ten football. Join Skip Mossick, Paul Keels, and Jim Lachey for Buckeye Roundtable. Monday night at 6. The Fan.